Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Boy, he loves snapping. Thank goodness it is Friday, April 12th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, Sun-Times editor Romana Hussein returns for the Romana Rundown. Chicago news junkie Michael O'Connor will join us. And we welcome legendary political strategist, the one, the only, Delmarie Cobb. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Tough Fight Friday. And here's why. <laughs> yeah, man, tough fight. Oh, that hurt. Anyway, last night I went to the Davis Theater on the north side of Chicago to see Knock Down the House. Great flick. Run, don't walk to see it. Uh, you can't see it at the Davis because it was part of a film festival. Uh, Doc 10, shout out to Stevie Cohen and Paula Fraley. Uh, but you can see it eventually on Netflix. They <laughs> so cut a deal. run to see something eventually. <laughs> You can walk, guys. You can walk, it sounds like. And actually, you don't even have to walk. You can just sit on your sofa and uh, turn on your TV. But anyway, it's going to be on Netflix. Give her credit, all right? The director, Rachel Lears. Give her great flick. She made a great flick, great documentary. Uh, and she cut a deal with Netflix. Love it when people cut deals. Uh, and uh, this is a stirring tale of four women. Uh, four Democrats who dared to defy the status quo by running against entrenched incumbents. This is back in the 2018 election cycle. Remember that one, folks? Resistance. First round. We're heading into round two. Coming right up. But that was first round showdown. Anyway, uh, there's uh, Amy Vallea, who ran for Congress uh, in Nevada. Uh, there's Paula Jean Swearingen, who ran for Senate in West Virginia. Uh, and then there was uh, Casey Bush, who ran for Cong- or, excuse me, Corey Bush, who ran for Congress in Missouri. And then, of course, a name you might know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Yeah, yes, yes. You all know who that is, AOC, as we like to call her. Um, Corey Bush lost in Missouri. Paula Jean Swearingen lost in West Virginia. And Amy Vallejo lost in Nevada. But their stories, stories are still, nonetheless, very stirring. And it just shows you what what challengers in a Democratic primary are up against when they dare to run against an entrenched incumbent. On the other hand, AOC won. And as you know, she has since moved on to Congress, where for better or worse, and I say better, she's earned a uh, reputation. She's become a national symbol of resistance in the age of Trump, standing up for the great Democratic values like truth, justice, and the American way. <laughs> she's like... Superwoman AOC. Anyway, uh, she's got a lot of guts, a lot of courage, and uh, she doesn't back down uh, quickly. We need more of that. 
And uh, after the movie, uh, we uh, retreated to the bar, uh, Dr. D. A bunch of us retreated to the bar. The place was sold out, and there's a bar right there at the Davis Theater. Uh, uh, so we uh, drank ourselves senseless and bemoaned our political fate, uh, mostly me saying stuff like, Ugh! <laughs> Beep! Lincoln Yard deal. That was a fancy way of saying getting <laughs> hammered, by the way. Yeah, man, getting hammered, talking about Lincoln Yards. You know, D, it's hard to turn the page oh, in that, that one. That was yesterday's <laughs> show. We're moving on. All right, moving on up to the east side. Anyway. <laughs> no singing. As the liquor flowed, we dedicated ourselves to the following question. Is there an elected official in the city of Chicago even remotely... <laughs> you got <laughs> Sorry, folks. Is there an elected official in the city of Chicago even remotely like Alexandria uh, Ocasio-Cortez? You know, someone who is just unblinkingly afraid to stand up to the man. You know, to stand up to the powerful political bullies without throwing away your principles at the first angry phone call from a mayor like Rahm. Hmm. <laughs> Uh, so let's see. The conversation went a little like this. Is there another, a, is there an AOC in Chicago? Uh, 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 <laughs> um, then I started singing Lou Rawls songs cause I was really hammered folks. My lady love, love Lou Rawls. Some reason when I have a lot to drink, I started singing Lou Rawls. I don't know why. Anyway, uh, someone suggested Sue Garza. Love Sue Garza. Someone suggested Scott Wagesback, the alderman of the 32nd Ward. Someone suggested Carlos Ramirez Rosa, uh, alderman of the 35th Ward. All good friends of the Ben Jarofsky show, I might add, Dr. D. Uh, but then it was kind of hard to come up with names is what we were saying. Uh, because you know what? People like AOC... Uh, don't come around that frequently. Uh, and as the movie points out, AOC, when she ran against Joe Crowley, who is the entrenched incumbent uh, congressman from an area in Brooks and Queens, she was um, opposed by every single elected official in New York. How about that, folks? Every single uh, elected official in New York stood with Crowley over uh, Ocasio-Cortez. And Crowley was running for re-election by sending out uh, flyers that said he was leading the charge in the fight against Trump. So basically, uh, anybody uh, who is willing to criticize Trump uh, is a good Democrat. You know, D, the bar's kind of low. I just want to say on that point, okay? I mean, everybody's in a Democratic side uh, not afraid to beat up on Trump. What about taking stands on issues that are supported by other Democrats? That's a interesting, uh, that's a lot tougher. Anyway, at the end of the movie, there's a very painful scene, a difficult scene, where uh, incumbent Senator Joe Manchin, a Democrat from West Virginia, calls Swearingen, and Swearingen is one of the women uh, whose story is told uh, in this movie, and he calls her, or she calls him, but anyway, they show them, uh, her talking on the phone with him, and he's very, it's, it's, it's really hard to listen to this conversation, folks. Very patronizing as he tells her, you know, things like, oh, you wrote a great fight, and just give me a call sometime, we'll get together, we'll talk about your issues, and you just know, you just know, he's just gonna, you know, just sweep it all under the carpet and uh, not take seriously anything she ran on. She ran on the issue of environmental justice, talking about the high rates of cancer in areas of West Virginia and coal mining areas of West Virginia. So, um, again, standing up to some powerful interests in the state of West Virginia got her about 30 percent of the vote in that Democratic primary. Folks, I tell you this, if the fight for truth, 
justice and the American way were easy, man, that fight would have been won years ago. We got a great show today, everybody. We got Michael O'Connor. Talk about a guy un- unafraid to stand up for truth, justice, and American way. <laughs> you love Michael O'Connor. Uh, he's a political activist from the near south side. He's coming. He told me on the phone already, Ben. He says, I'm coming. My fist will be swinging. He's got a lot oh, to okay. say. Well, like <laughs> knock us out. Michael O'Connor always has good stuff to say. A Ramana Hussein. It's Friday. Ramana, the Ramana Rundown. I cannot wait to talk about all the issues of the day with Ramana. She's got a lot to say. But you know what? We may talk a little Ram. Ram leaving. And what are thoughts uh, about Ram reading, leaving uh, office? Does she miss Ram already? You know, a lot of people miss Ram. Uh, Dennis, what I know up, Tommy Mac. Tommy Mac. <laughs> Mac me was in the studio yesterday. Great debate, folks. When you have time, if you haven't already, check out yesterday's show. Great debate. Uh, Tom McMedia from the editorial board of the Sun-Times and myself uh, about Rahm Emanuel. And finally, the legendary Delmarie Cobb. She'll be in the studio today talking politics, 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 and let's see. Politics! All right, a lot of political talk ahead. We're going to be talking local talk, state talk, and national talk. Some Trump news in the air. So, so much political talk ahead. But before we do any of it. The doctor has the news. Hey, guys, how's it going? I'm Dennis. Uh, we have uh, our friend Stephen. He weighed in on the YouTube live chat before we get going into national news here. We're looking for the, who is the Chicago AOC. Uh, Stephen weighed in. He said, what about Byron Sigcho Lopez? Uh, recently? Okay. Now, that's a great point by Stephen. There's a six uh, aldermen, who, uh, six uh, aldermanic elects. I guess that's what we call them. They just were elected. So we have to sit very promising. Uh, they they resisted the um, they they joined the protest to resist the Lincoln Yards and seventy eight deals, including uh, Alderman Elect Lopez. You're right, Stephen. So we'll have to see. Maybe it, look, just getting elected is the first step. Okay, <laughs> the, what, what made Ocasio Cortez uh, so significant is that she continued to stand for her principles after she was sworn in. So, uh, but that's a good point. There's some new Matt Martin in the studio here yesterday. Matt Martin Martin was saying all the right things. So we'll see how they uh, do once they're in office. All right. So feel free to weigh in on the live chat. uh, You live stream watchers. All right. It's the middle of the final day of the week. Bring it weekend. (laughs) Let's briefly discuss the national news happening this afternoon. All right. Daddy vice president came in the room today to clean up this mess or at least try after the arrest of WikiLeaks founder, Julian Assange, uh, and after our president said, and I quote, WikiLeaks, I love WikiLeaks, during a speech in 2016, Donald Trump hilariously told reporters, quote, I know nothing about WikiLeaks. It's not my thing. (laughs) In the Oval Office Thursday. Well, this morning, Vice President Mike Pence said what our actual president should have said from the get-go, that Donald Trump's many or past comments praising WikiLeaks were, quote, in no way an endorsement of the organization. Here's the quote from Pence, quote, I think the president always, as you and the media do, always welcomes information. But that was in no way an endorsement of an organization that we now understand was involved in disseminating classified information by the United States of America. Yeah, all right. Let's break this one down. First of all, one of the reasons that Donald Trump was attractive to uh, so many voters who uh, ordinarily go Democrat uh, was that, and God, here's sound like I'm praising Trump. Always dangerous. Uh, oh, whenever you head in this country, I could just see him. He's praising Trump. 
but he dared to say things that conventional politicians don't say, all right? Many of the things he dared to say were utterly offensive and racist and white supremacist and all that stuff, and I despise them. But some of the things he said was like, hmm, interesting, you know? As I said, he goes so far right that he ends up coming left, and he praised WikiLeaks, okay? And some of his confederates were uh, befriending or reaching out to Julian Assange. Why? Because the information that Assange was leaking was beneficial to Donald Trump. So, yes, he welcomes the information that uh, WikiLeaks disseminated, but only that information that worked to his advantage. It's not as though that Donald Trump or Mike Spence or any of those Republicans believes in transparency any more than Rahm Emanuel or uh, any of the Democrats in Chicago believe in it. They only want transparency when it makes them look good or the other guy look bad. Got that, D? But some people... Some people of the journalistic persuasion, okay, like myself and Tom McMee, we were talking about this yesterday, and Romano Hussein, and Mick Dumpke, I'm just thinking of the Danny Mahopoulos. These journalists want information just because we want to see everything. You know, you don't, you don't have a horse in a race. You want to know. You want to be educated. You want to know what really is going on. So that's like... People of our ilk are more, you know, kind of favorable to Assange because he's showing us the goodies. And let's face it, folks, when Assange dumped all those goodies that uh, made where they snuck into the computers of the Democratic uh, National Committee and uh, and released all the information, the private emails, man, every reporter from every mainstream pro-Democratic newspaper that supposedly lefty favor the Democrats press was rushing to publish that stuff. So there's a difference between a politician like Donald Trump and Mike Spence and a journalist. Mike Pence. What did I say? Mike Spence. Spence. I am. I'm thinking of Jerry Spence, the great lawyer uh, from uh, Wyoming. Did you know he was from Wyoming? I, <laughs> you got me. Anyway, there's a difference between a Pence and a Trump and a journalist. And so, yes, Donald Trump at once braced WikiLeaks. And now, for some reason, he's backing off. Probably because he's going to get, he thinks he's going to get exonerated uh, in the Mueller report, so he doesn't need uh, uh, WikiLeaks anymore. Isn't that interesting how it works? Hey, Assange, you were my friend. Now lie down the road while I drive this bus over you. All right, more Assange WikiLeaks talk here. While First Amendment scholars and advocacy groups raise alarm over the criminal charges against WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange. Former First Lady and 2016 POTUS candidate Hillary Clinton said that WikiLeaks and Julian Assange, who did obtain emails, some call it hacking, from her 2016 presidential campaign. But Clinton says Assange must, quote, answer for what he has done. Here's the quote from Hillary Clinton, quote, I think it is clear from the indictment that came out. It's not about punishing journalism. It's about assisting the hacking of a military computer to steal information from the United States government. Yeah, well, she's now, uh, I I assume she's referring to the Manning case, the information from 2010. Uh, But listen, here's the, it's the same thing with Clinton as it is with Donald Trump. Uh, They are against any, the release of any information that makes them look bad, okay? And uh, so I don't know if she would be complaining if somehow or other the WikiLeaks people had uh, dug into Republican computers and released incriminating information that would help her win the election. Um, So I could, uh, listen, if my computer was, um, 
infiltrated by a hacker and all my emails revealing how uh, the dumb things I've written over the years were suddenly put on WikiLeaks. Nobody, first of all, would even look at it because it's so boring. Stuff like, I love the bulls uh, would be released. Uh, I would be upset to say, to put it mildly, so I can understand why uh, Hillary Clinton uh, would be upset about the the leaking of the Democratic emails from 2016. And by the way, I still want to know who was responsible for that because again, I'm a journalist, transparency, want to know the story. But I think there's um, a lot of self-serving politicians uh, playing this one, D, and their their anger and outrage uh, varies according to what is being leaked. Shout out to our friend uh, Mitchie Bastegod. (laughs) Mitchie Bastegod started weighing in yesterday as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mitchie Bastegod puts, good luck selling your house in Lopez Ward. I hear they are putting up a windmill. You know uh, what the sound, (laughs) you know, the sound of the windmill, right? (laughs) Good stuff. Love that uh, live chat. Feel free to weigh in. Lopez? Oh, he probably, I think, not Raylo. No, no. Uh, ah, well, no, sorry, I won't go there. Yeah, not Ray. <laughs> you know what I was about to do. All Wait, right. uh, Ray Lopez, he'll take the windmill in the 15th ward, all right, if you don't have it in the 25th. In go other ahead. news nationally, I guess we're starting to see that tougher direction our president was f- referring to on uh, immigration. Donald Trump not only confirms he considered sending immigrant detainees to sanctuary cities, he says he is still, quote, giving strong considerations to doing it. Here's the tweet from Trump. The radical left always see. I'm not doing Trump voice. I've done it like too many times in the last two days. The radical left <laughs> always. The radical left always seems to have an open borders, open arms policy. So this should make them very happy. <laughs> oh, Donnie! I'll tell you what. You know, Donnie's Trump is uh, is taking a page from Rom's playbook. All right, uh, Rom's playbook is uh, first of all uh, always put a political crisis to good use. In this case, a crisis is our immigration policy at the border. People are uh, trying, hundreds of thousands of people. This story was in the uh, uh, the New York. I don't know if it was hundreds of thousands, tens of thousands of people at the border in various detained in various facilities as the United States tries to figure out a coherent uh, immigration policy. Uh, so Trump is going to take advantage of that uh, by just, you know, needling Democrats. Uh, the, I cannot believe I'm about to say this. D. I'm going to say this right now. David Brooks, who I usually make fun of and a columnist for the New York Times, actually wrote uh, what I thought was um, essentially an intelligent column because uh, I must I must have agreed with it then huh? Uh, about the need to have some kind of um, the grown up uh, discussion of how we're going to deal uh, with uh, immigration issues on the southern border of the United States and where Democrats and Republicans come together and try to look this uh, look at this as objectively as they can, not looking for uh, who can get the most politically out of it. Uh, that probably will not happen anytime soon. And Donald Trump is posturing this stuff where, oh, oh I'll show you liberals. You want these immigrants? I'm going to put them in your cities. Oh, there you go. But that was like uh, that was a plan that was discussed apparently uh, by uh, Trump officials. We're really curious what Romana Hussein will have to say. I'll have to ask her about that when she comes in here. Now, of course, we will keep you posted on these stories as today's program rolls along. Mm-hmm. Benny J. Yeah, it is that time of the day. Okay, you ready to find out what's going on in Chicago and or Illinois? <laughs> I was born ready. Never a bad answer. Love that answer because coming up after this short little break, we are going to find out what else is news. I can't wait. It's the time of day where the doctor plucks that little trick out of his little sleeve. We'll see what it is when we return. This weekend, come explore the Admiral Theater's dark side. 
It's Strip Wars Volume 1, The Phantom Stripper, a parody show live at the Admiral Theater, 3940 West Lawrence and Pulaski, April 11th, 12th, and 13th in a theater not so far away. Do not miss Strip Wars, The Phantom Stripper, a parody show live at the Admiral Theater. For more information, call 773-478-8111 or visit AdmiralX.com. This is a totally nude show. Must be 18 years or older to enter. If you would like to advertise with The Ben Jarofsky Show, and who wouldn't, contact Tracy Bame at publisher at chicagoreadercorp.com. We have several advertising options for your business or organization. And quite frankly, we would love nothing more than to tell our listeners all about it. Once again, that's Tracy Bame at publisher at Chicago Reader Corp. at C-O-R-P as in Paul, dot com to advertise with the Ben Jarofsky Show, the Chicago Reader, and the Chicago Sun-Times. We look forward to plugging you. Okay, well, that came out kind of weird. More of the Ben Jarofsky Show live and downloaded in moments. Hey, welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, indeed we are. I keep getting these uh, text messages from ATT that I'm, I'm, I'm over data. I mean, I just have to share them. My data plan is so bad. I'm always, I, I go with Dennis, we're on the train, he's like watching movies, all right? And other people are just like downloading this, downloading, and meanwhile, everything now, I keep, every, uh, you're over data use, we just slapped another $15. Man, I gotta look into this thing, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, and get a new phone while you're at it. You got an iPhone 5. Okay. Is it, I think it's like four and a half or uh, something. Yeah, it looks like it, it's, it's iPhone 5-ish. Uh, yeah, whatever. Anyway, all right, enough of that idle chat, chit chat. It's time to get down to business. Yeah, no kidding. We're about to find out what's going on locally. It's time for what else is news. After Mayor-elect Lori Lightfoot's trip to Springfield Mm. and her call for statewide unity, today we're going to discuss one of my personal favorite topics, Illinois, the tale of two states. Mm -hmm. But first, I'm not a perfect person. <laughs> Apparently not, J.B. Prickson. Uh, Apparently that not. I love that quote. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and Tina Svondelis. Mm-hmm. She has an article out featuring a great interview with our Democratic Illinois Governor, J.B. Pritzker. In the Sun-Times paper, it's titled, J.B.'s Blunt Talk. <laughs> Classic. Get it? Oh, my beloved bright one with those headlines. Yeah, Sp- Svondelis is on the reefer beat. This is the second Svondelis story we've covered this week on Pritzker and his plan to legalize recreational marijuana use in Illinois. Ben, Pritzker seems pretty confident that this is going to happen. Listen to this quote from the governor on his recreational marijuana bill. Quote, I think the bill that will get introduced and passed is going to be a very, very strong good bill. Two varies and a good. <laughs> All right. And strong. <laughs> All right. That's very good. Yeah. Now, Ben, we have to uh, get your thoughts on the quote from Pritzker in this article. Uh-huh. And I'll admit it's really the only reason why I put this in our news today. Uh, this comes from the Sun-Times article. The Democrat who said he wasn't always on board with legalization said that he has tried marijuana. You're acting like you don't know, but you've read the thing. Here's the quote from Pritzker. You've talked to me about it all day today on the phone. Here's the quote from Pritzker. Quote, 
I've tried marijuana, uh, you know, in the past. Uh, in the it's past, been a long time. Uh, yeah, it's been a long time, been a long time. Please don't sing it. Just tell us what you think. Well, I'll tell you what, man. That's just part of the utter hypocrisy uh, of the whole marijuana issue. Again, I love pointing this out. You know, he admits he tried it. Duh. I mean, duh. Like I always say, just pretty much anybody of his generation has either tried it or been in a room when someone else was trying it, thought about trying it, and, uh, you know, is now pretending as though it never did. And they're shocked. Oh, wow, marijuana. I have to think about this for a while. It's uh, it's just the, it's the games we play, people. Oh my God! I almost went on a tiff tangent there. I almost went on a tiff, but I'll hold off on the tiff tangent there, D. The games we play. You're welcome, Stephen, on the live chat. Uh, you know, it's just the it's just the, we pretend in this case of marijuana. We pretend as though it's this foreign alien substance that bears no reality to anything we know about. When of course we've either smoked it or, as I said, been in a room with someone else smoked it. Turns out J.B. Pritzker smoked it, but he was against legalizing it. So somehow or other, it was okay when he smoked it, but it's against legalizing it. Ah, I see. So let the black people get arrested for it uh, on the west side and just look the other way as we go, hmm, let me think about this for a while. Look, we're so late in uh, ending the war on drugs. The war on drugs was a huge failure. It was a tragedy to so many people. It ruined so many lives. It cost us so much money, so much wasted effort and time. Let's end the war on drugs now. And the first step you could do is legalize marijuana. But no, in Illinois, oh, we have to think about it. Oh, the ramifications. Oh, it's so hard. It's so difficult. It's so tough. Anyway. That's what I think about that one, the notion. Yeah, I tried it once, but I really can't remember. He's like Clinton. Clinton can't remember if he inhaled. Hey, take it easy on Pritzker. I'm not a perfect person. He's not perfect. You remember Monroe talking about explaining why Clinton didn't really inhale? It's because folks, according to Monroe's source, Monroe Anderson, Monroe midday. Isn't that midweek? Excuse me. It's just Monroe Anderson. Oh, uh, well, yeah, uh, Monroe Mondays. Um he said that Clinton could get away with that because he he indulged by eating marijuana-laced brownies. Oh, that Monroe had the inside dope. Get it? Inside oh, dope. Oh, my Lord. Catch him at Zany's tonight. By the way, Ramana Hussein has entered the room. Ramana Hussein has entered the room. That means the Ramana Rundown is just around the corner, everybody. All right. If you haven't yet, go read the rest of this article in, in this in-depth interview with Tina Spondellas and Governor J.B. Pritzker. All things the recreational marijuana and the progressive income tax. I mean, the fair tax. Go check it out because we're moving on, people. I-80 is just a stretch of pavement. It is not a border. Working together, regardless of party or geography, I see new opportunities ahead for all of us. That was our soon-to-be Chicago mayor, Lori Lightfoot, in Springfield a couple of days back. She took a two-day downstate trip to shake some hands and take some pictures at the Capitol. She discussed gambling, guns, and the graduated income tax. But as you heard in that speech, Lightfoot took some time to talk unity amongst the city of Chicago and Illinois. Lightfoot said she wants to, quote, eliminate the Chicago versus the rest of the state mentality. Now, Ben, what if I were to tell you that there are some Republican Illinois politicians out there in that uh, rest of Illinois category who aren't buying it? What, what, would I say? what would you say? I would say I am not surprised. Okay. Well, meet Illinois Republican state rep out of Shelbyville, Brad Howbrook. Ben, have you ever been to Shelbyville, Illinois? Um, I once flew over it. Oh, okay. okay Never yeah. stopped in? Um, no. But I, was, I went over it. Maybe I did. I don't know. I maybe, I maybe drove through it once. Stop have, in sometime. Have you ever right? been there? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> 
Not my show. It's the Ben Jarofsky. No one cares if I've ever been there. All right. Shelby Mills, three hours from Chicago, about an hour 15 uh, east of Springfield. I knew so. that. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. He loves Shelbyville, guys. But this Halbrook guy, boy, he is a trip. He's the lead sponsor of a House resolution mm-hmm. urging Congress to designate the city of Chicago as its own state separate from the rest of Illinois because of its long-standing regional differences. Hal Brook was asked his thoughts on Illinois unity after Lightfoot's speech in Springfield. Hal Brook said, quote, I think the issues we face remain the same. Oh, someone's knocking on the door. <laughs> Hello? Let's see who can be. Oh, hey. It's oh, Michael. Hey, Michael's hey. here. All right. Cool. Okay. I love right. it when my guests come early. Hal Brook was asked his thoughts on Illinois unity after Lightfoot's speech in Springfield, saying, quote, I think the issues we face remain the same. It's just this ideology that continues to get driven from that corner of the state down upon the rest of us. Ben, what are your thoughts on his comments, and what about that uh, two-state idea of his? Well, there was a candidate who wanted to divide us into three states. Remember that guy? Robert Marshall. Robert And uh, I think Chicago, in his plan, was going to be a separate state. And at the time, I, I thought about it. I, Mark Brown, I believe, a columnist for the Sun-Times, uh, actually wrote a column about it as well. Uh, I recall I, when he, feeling scooped by Mark, because I was going to write the column that he basically wrote. You know, I... I, I, I curious this, uh, to uh, see what Michael O'Connor thinks about this when we're bringing him on in about a half an hour, but, I, you know, I think Chicago would do okay in uh, in that equation if you separated Chicago from the rest of the state. Chicago is a fabulously wealthy in many parts of the city. Uh, most of it, corporate Chicago is where so much of the wealth is, and uh, so if we if took Matt Martin's suggestion and brought in a uh, income tax, a graduated income tax in the city of Chicago, uh, you could probably raise a lot of money. So Chicago might actually do well. In the old days, you know, downstate people viewed Chicago as like this anchor around their neck, and it's dragging us down, and da-da-da-da, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, I don't know. Maybe Chicago wouldn't do so bad in oh, that equation. I think you and Halbrook would have a good time. <laughs> you and Halbrook seem yeah. to uh, agree here. And then Halbrook would be uh, losing the money from Chicago. Suddenly, Halbrook would be like, how do we pay our bills? <laughs> oh, we may have to legalize marijuana. How about that, D? Maybe then they'll start legalizing marijuana. Oh, and speaking of, people are wanting me to break the bong out here. Let me go ahead. Oh, people love the buy. <sighs> Happy Friday, guys. Yeah. All right, but there you go. Just like that, you're now in the know of what's going on in Chicago and Illinois. And now you will have an answer the next time someone asks you, hey, what else is news? All right, let me tell you something that uh, Michael O'Connor, our okay. next uh, our 2 o'clock guest, uh, Michael Jeffrey Jordan, and Michael Cohen, a kid I went to high school with, hey, who Michael. has the same name as Donald Trump's lawyer. They all agree. You did a great job. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Ramana's sitting on deck. We'll bring her on for the Ramana Rundown when we return. The Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you by the Chicago Sun-Times. For the latest in Chicago and Illinois news, sports, weather, and the latest in national news from a real Chicago frame of mind and real Chicago writers, check out the Chicago Sun-Times. Read the daily paper or online at chicago.suntimes.com. And hey, if you have a little extra cash... Subscribe and by the Chicago Reader for a deeper dive in the daily Chicago news and for all of what's going on in this city. You gotta read the Reader. Music, arts and culture, film, extensive event calendars, concert listings, and more, including weekly political columns from writers like Maya Dukmasova and yes, our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader is free in newsstands and at chicagoreader.com. 
That's chicagoreader.com. break over welcome back to the ben jarofsky show yes indeed we are back uh, live at the my beloved Sometime studio beautiful studio that built for us right down the hall from the bathrooms uh ramana hussein uh with us this time friday ramana rundown welcome back ramana thank you for having me again uh, one of the most popular segments uh, of our show, the Romana Hussein Rundown. We sold out of the T-shirts. Yeah, we have no more T-shirts. <laughs> hey, Sun-Times, make us more Romana T-shirts. Uh, all right, Romana, so much to talk about today, Sun-Times. Oh, my God, Sun-Times headline uh, writers, give them a raise and take it out of petty cash. They, they do a good job. I mean, even when we discuss a lot of these things during meetings, they come up with things like, so quick it's it's amazing all right let's you know, just so. talk about two of them this the first the one here upon further review we'll get to that later but the one i believe it was uh yesterday's newspaper uh wait and switch do you have that one yeah, yeah right wait. in front of me okay that of course i talked about that a, a lot yesterday wait and switch we're talking about the uh the uh, lori lightfoot's uh change of mind on the lincoln yard 78 tiff deals where she said uh you know, she said, we need time to study it. Uh, and then she sort of uh, raised the white flag and surrendered uh, on the issue and then went down to Springfield. So I got to get down to Springfield and <laughs> hop the yeah. next train down to Springfield, midnight train to Springfield. Uh, wait and switch as a, you know, a pun on bait and switch. So who, who came up with that one? Um, it's It was probably, I don't remember who came up with that one because sometimes it's it could be one of us, like, you know, one of us editors who are in there but it's usually the guys on the copy desk and so there's about three or four guys they are all guys so um i kind of have a feeling who it is i don't know which which specific person it is but i kind of have an idea they're usually like two or three of them and they usually come up with ideas while we're discussing things in the afternoon meeting and they're very good i mean a lot of times they just kind of like throw things around and if they can't come up with something they'll like come up with something within like a short amount of time well they don't have much time to like come up with something the brilliance of wait and switch um is that in just that wait wait is uh the the word wait is what's key there i think and you know it's like maybe someone who didn't think that hard would say bait and switch but it's uh you know it's it's the word wait i think is it was like the way it was used in that uh, phrase, you know, the phrase that we're usually used to is just brilliant. So we, they do a pretty good job. Well, they, and, and I, I got to say, I mean, I'm biased, obviously, but I do think um, the um, copy desk guys and a lot of the editors sometimes come up with a really great headlines. But they're, they're sending out these like subversive messages with yeah. these headlines. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like the, the article will be bending over backwards to follow all the rules of journalism, you know? Yeah, I, I think we take a little more liberty than maybe, say, the Tribune that takes a little more straight approach. I think we tend to take, uh, you know, more of a... I, I don't think it's as as, like... You know, I don't think we take that much liberty as like the New York Post, maybe, you know, they're a little I think they're a little like 
<laughs> they might go <laughs> off the deep end. I think we I think we try to have fun with it a little more than, you know, a lot of people would and I think they those headlines come out pretty good. They're not like they're not like taking too much liberty. They're taking a little little liberty. And uh, a little, you know, I guess some people would say editorializing in in the headlines, but I think they're I think I don't think they're that, you know, I don't think they're just like they're just kind of like, you know, Kind of put in food for thought. Yeah. I think if anything, our headlines do bring the food for thought. Yeah, and also, but there's this notion um, in the city of Chicago where we all there's a pretense of like the way the game is played, the way you know we're all following rules and and uh, everybody is fair and objective. And then Chicagoans have this notion that what really is going on is not that fair, not that objective, <laughs> and they're not there are different rules for different people, and that. The beauty of wait and switch is that it kind of winks to Chicagoans. It's like, yeah, we know what's going on here. Yeah, exactly. You. And it's it's good. It's clever. I like I said, I'm biased, so I'm going to say it's clever. <laughs> but no, I do think we do a good job. And I don't necessarily agree with all the headlines that we do. There's been chant times where I'm like, I don't know if that really works. But um, a lot of times we do. We just hit it out of the park. Those guys just sometimes just come up with it. We'll be talking about what you know important stories we have for the next day, and then we pick a line story, and they just like start playing around with the words. And within like thirty seconds, sometimes they come up with uh, these kind of headlines, and I think it's awesome. Well, today's headlines uh, is also very clever. Uh, it's called "Upon Further Review," and it has to do new video that shows Chicago cops dragging, punching, and tasing CPS students appears to contradict officer's version of events. Man, that just pretty much tells you everything you need to know about that story. And, yeah, uh, yeah. And we had video that came with that story. And in fact, I had assigned the reporter who wrote this um, to cover something else. And uh, my fellow, my colleagues were telling me, no, there's some big lawsuit that he has to kind of follow. So he was kind of like monitoring the event I sent him to. And well, the court, it was a court hearing and this as well. And then this came out. I actually edited um, a story that Mary Mitchell had written about a couple months ago or maybe a few weeks ago. Um, she was responding to the original story where the charges were dropped against a student because the student... Tell the story. Give, give people the, a little the young woman, Marshall High School student. Yeah, the young woman is was 16 years old at the time, I believe, and she was suspended from the school. And uh, the um, narrative, or at least what we heard, is that she was not leaving the premises. And the police had to take her out, you know, had to escort her out, or and it got very hairy. Mm -hmm. They originally said that they had all fallen down the stairs. And the video, I think, shows something completely different, that she was pushed down the stairs and that she was, like, tasered and then punched. And so um, it's definitely different than the original story because the original story actually was written by Matthew Hendrickson, the same reporter who wrote this story. And it wasn't, like, the hugest story in the world. And Mary Mitchell wrote a story based on what we knew at the time. And she had, you know, mentioned that, you know, it's... She said that, you know, students should listen. Police might have overreacted, from what I understand. And she was saying that um, the question here now is, um, I didn't watch the video. Um, I admit I just have read about it, mm -hmm. the story. But, it, you know, it's completely different than what the police said. And, you know, I think there's no audio on the video on the um, video that we have. So um, the I think the other question is um, what was said. You know, some people are saying, well, the girl wasn't listening. She wasn't leaving. But I think a lot of people would ask, is that the correct response with the 16-year-old girl, with the 16-year-old child? Like, are police supposed to 
basically manhandle this young woman, push her down the stairs, and it's completely different than what they said. You know, so, you know, and then, you know, there's all this question. Everybody always has questions about police and whether they're lying. And something like, you know, a video like this comes out and then people start doubting the police yeah. again. And they're like, why should we trust the police? Well, this, I mean, we're probably going to come back to uh, Jesse Smollett, uh, that story, because that's one of our favorite, or at least one of my favorite topics. And you indulge me. But um, it. it there's so many incidents like this in the city of Chicago that are, were fraught with larger uh, racial implications. Sure. Uh, and obviously, Laquan McDonald is is number one case. Uh, then you have a Justice Smollett case, uh, and now you have uh, this situation with the the uh, the 16-year-old uh, Marshall High student uh, who, and I remember. Uh, Ramana, in the aftermath of the initial coverage of the story, mm-hmm. um, having breakfast with a couple of friends of my retired teachers, and they were outraged uh, that um, the girl, the charges had been dropped against the girl, and they were saying, "This is what teachers have to put up with." And nobody knows this, and and you know, they, they, I think one cop like got a broken tooth or something. Somebody, a cop got injured. I forget yeah, what the injury and, was. and that might be the case. And nobody's saying that teachers don't have to deal with a lot and that they're not students that are unruly. Mm-hmm. Um, but as your two o'clock guest referred to, would this happen in a an all-white school? Would the young woman be pushed down the stairs and then kicked and then had a taser placed on her? Like if she was that stubborn and not leaving? So I think there's a good, these are good questions. You know, there's there are certain kind of quote-unquote peop, people of certain races that are always on the other end of these mm-hmm. situations. And, and and I'm not, in no way am I saying that teachers don't have to deal with that. Cause you know, I know there's, I know I've had some friends who worked at some schools and they were physically assaulted by students. Mm-hmm. So it can happen and nobody's saying that, but there was like three or four, two or three cops that were, you know. Yeah, and then the other. Girl. And the, then her father was there. Yeah, I father think. was yeah. there too. I mean, it's very yeah. common. But it also, the, the, the point I'm, um, I was gonna make is that uh, so many of us, so many times, jump to an immediate conclusion yeah. about something just because it fits a narrative that we want to explicate. Of course, and that's what I'm. Th- when I talked about the Laquan McDonald mm-hmm. uh, and uh, Jesse Smollett, uh, with you know claiming that uh, some MAGA hat or I don't know if the guy was wearing a MAGA hat, but MAGA lovers were beating him up. Uh, and uh, now this, so there's, there's there always, is a, yeah. there's a, everybody's always rushing. You go on Twitter and you know, whatever narrative fits the way a person thinks, everybody just kind of jumps on that bandwagon. And I have friends usually who are left and you know, they sometimes see things as just as black and white as the other side. And I try to explain to them, well, actually it's, this happened and you know from what i read or from what i understand and it just kind of goes out the window they don't really care they want to just read or you know kind of take into what they see you know when you a story approaches you i'm i'm going to try to articulate this question as best i can uh when when you see a story like this is your first reaction as a woman of color or is your first reaction as a skeptical, jaded Chicago journalist? Or is it a combination of both? It's a both? combination of both. It's a combination of both. I mean, I cover crime. I cover criminal courts. And there's cases I covered. And then, you know, I would talk to people afterwards. And like, oh, you covered that case. And they would come up with a totally different conclusion than I did. I mean, I think you have to sit through an entire trial to come up with your conclusions 
to fairly come up with your conclusions. You can't just jump into things and expect to come up with a clear view of what exactly happened. But when I see something like this, you know, you have to wonder, like, yes, these police officers were injured, but was it, you know, quote unquote, was it a fair fight or was that the proper response as Chicago police officers who are working in schools? And should they be trained to handle things differently when there is a student that is acting up? So, you know, I, I think I respond both ways. I am definitely a woman of color, so I'm sensitive to certain issues. And I'm a journalist, too. So I do know that there are, we're supposed to realize that there are two sides to every story, but there's always the truth that we're looking for. Well, and that's I, what's the most important. Yeah. You know, you look at, we're going to talk about Smollett, and that's, that's, that's one of these cases where there's definitely people taking sides, and they're not necessarily looking at it as critical as they should. Yeah, no, before we get to Smollett, which is listening to it reminded me of this great routine that Dave Chappelle does, uh, <laughs> where he's he's on stage at the Laugh Factory, I forget where he was, I think it's LA, and he looks back and he sees the logo on the wall, and he's reminded of, um, uh, what's that, uh, Dennis Kramer's real name? The actor? Oh, of, uh, Michael Richards. Michael Richards lost his mind. When he went mind. off and yeah. he like started using the, it was crazy. Yeah, yeah he lost N-word. his mind and was just uh, using the N-word left and right. And uh, his career has never been the same. And David Chappelle's on that stage. This is right after Kramer did that. Yeah. And he looks back up there and he goes, well, I can't help but thinking of Kramer when I see that. The audience is laughing, getting a little nervous. What's <laughs> David Chappelle going to say? And he goes, you know, uh, and I'm paraphrasing as best I can. He goes, when I watch that I realize that like I'm um, 80% uh, black man and 20% comic because part of me thought ah oh, Kramer you bomb but you'll do better the next time you know what I mean <laughs> and I always appreciated David Chappelle for oh, showing a little I love I, my favorite um, skit or sketch was where he played uh the KKK member <laughs> who was guy. black and blind and didn't realize he was black. And yeah, I, that was my favorite one. I love yeah, that yeah, one. That was a good one. But uh, anyway, uh, David Chappelle. All right. Now, uh, moving on to uh, someone that's uh, not quite as funny as David Chappelle, and that would be Jesse Smollett. Uh, man, this story is not going away. No, it isn't. Soon. I was actually, right before I came here, I didn't think I would make it on time because I had to edit a story really quick about the Jesse latest, news. the latest in the Jesse Smollett case. Um, basically, yesterday, the latest was that the city finally filed the lawsuit that they said they were going to file, uh-huh. you know, asking to recoup the money that you know the police office, the police had spent investigating this alleged hate uh, hoax, hate crime. So then, the latest is you know Kim Fox is definitely getting criticism and support. There's about her handling of the case. So she basically, the latest is that she's asking for the Cook County Inspector General to investigate how she handled the case. So that's the latest. Okay. So she was, wow. you know, you had probably read that she was asking like, hey, I'm if anybody wants to investigate how my office handled this case, come and, and investigate. Mm-hmm. So today she had requested that Patrick Blanchard um, come and investigate the case. So right before I came here, th- I have to say the Chicago Tribune had a breaking news story. And so we had our reporter, Andy Graham, who was on your show last week, follow up. Mm-hmm. And so he, he, I told him, I'm like, well, at 1.30, I got to do a bench show. So if you're going to turn something in, <laughs> Hurry turn up. it into <laughs> someone else. But I'll be here. So I, I was literally just uh, editing that. I was adding pictures, the headline. 
I had to send out the alert and then I ran over here. Wow. So that case is just every day there's something new happening with that case. Yeah, investigating the investigators. Donald Trump would be all uh, into that one. That's uh, sounds Trumpian. Um, and of course, the the main thing I presume they're going to be investigating is the phone call that she took from Tina Chen, who is and the phone call that she took from one of Jesse Smollett's relatives. That is correct after the Tina Chen call, and then the phone call that she made to Eddie Johnson, the police chief. Uh, so that's really the issue, I, in my humble opinion, that's at, uh, that should be investigated. Uh, don't you agree with me on this? Am I, am I forgetting another issue with the Justice Mullet case that really warrants a serious investigation? I, I, I think there's also questions as to, you know, the actual, I guess the actual hearing and you know why were the records sealed why was he allowed to forfeit his ten thousand dollars and give it to the city of chicago that's very unusual so and then you know she had said that um right after he the charges were dropped she said there was enough her um chief deputy or first assistant said that there was enough evidence to convict smollett and then a couple of days later, she put out an editorial in the Chicago Tribune saying that, well, we didn't have enough evidence to convict Smollett. So I just think there's just questions in terms of the handling and questions of the actual hearing. Mm -hmm. You know, him standing up there, he usually, you know, she said that this was, um, I forgot what it's specifically called for nonviolent offenders. This was a way to kind of just deal with the case so you're not clogging up the system. Mm -hmm. But usually in these cases, yeah, yeah, yeah alternative mm -hmm. prosecution people mm -hmm. alternative and sentence. yeah, sentencing, mm -hmm. those individuals usually admit their guilt. Jesse Smollett was able to s maintain his innocence yeah. and he came up to the you know cameras. He didn't say anything in court, say, you know, he didn't apologize. He didn't, you know, and r right now it's an alleged crime because, but usually in these cases, people admit their guilt and he didn't. So I think, I think the hearing itself and her handling of the case. Those are two key questions, and there's a lot of questions yeah. for well, anybody who's covered criminal courts. Well, you know, and uh, I, as I get, again, this is what the core, um, the relationship to the situation with the Marshall High School uh, girl student that we just talked about, where immediately the story when it came out that uh, Kim Fox uh, had recommended the charges be dropped against her, there was outrage uh, directed by law and order types against Kim Fox. They uh, been going too easy on this girl. She beat up the police. Now the video comes out uh, and it's it, un it sort of undercuts the case that the cops had. And if there was a trial, it would make them look bad. And I guess there's going to be a lawsuit uh, against the police officers because of this, the, the evidence that's revealed in this video. I don't see any of the people who are criticizing Kim Fox for being, quote unquote, lenient in the case. Jumping out on jumping this. Jumping out to go, you know, upon further review, uh, to quote the Sun-Times, uh, I may have been wrong to criticize Kim <laughs> they, Fox. Yeah, they're pretty quiet right now. So that's what I'm saying. We, everybody jumps and uses of these course. things for their own narrative. For sure. I mean, when the Jesse Smollett case, when he first had said that he was attacked, there were so many people tweeting about this, so many presidential nominees tweeting about it. And then, you know, and then there were so many activists, which is fine. You know, nobody's saying, but, you know, that's what people do in this day and age. They hear something and then, you know, the, the case, I think everybody in Chicago kind of was tipped off that this might necessarily not necessarily be a hate crime there's a lot to it so i think a lot of people in chicago a, a lot of uh, reporters were kind of like just kind of waiting and waiting to see 
All right. Now, I have uh, limited time with you. I know you have to get back to your editing duties, but there's so many things I want to ask you. So let me just run down uh, uh, a few uh, through a few of them. Uh, number one, I don't know if you saw this, I, I but I, I think I talked to you. I've had this conversation so many times today. I, I think I had this conversation with you. Uh, Donald, turns out that Donald Trump uh, yeah, and um, some of his aides were suggesting that they would take uh, immigrants who had been collected at the border and put into... And send them to the sanctuary said, cities. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think a lot of people who are living in these sanctuary cities don't think immigrants are threats. So there's nothing wrong with bringing more immigrants to the sanctuary cities. The question is, uh, and I've been seeing some of the discussion about this since he just kind of blurted it out. I think he tweeted it, is, you know, he's using people, particularly immigrants and people of color, as a political pawn. And is that correct? And how are, how are you going to do this? You're going to take all these individuals and put them in a bus and just drop them off on the side of the street? You know, it's just like, what are the logisti logistics? Like, he just says things off the cuff. So whether this is going to happen or not, I don't know. But a lot of people who are living in sanctuary cities, including, um, you know, Chicago's a sanctuary city, I would think that most of the um, residents here would want to welcome immigrants. The yeah. question is, what are you going to do? Just drop them off without yeah. any sort of plan? Like, we're, you know, like in terms of housing, he just, I think he just wants to kind of just stick it to people and, you know, and, and get his quote unquote base more riled up and say, oh, you guys should be happy that we're, you know, you guys are, you know, because didn't he say something about the liberal left? Yes. Like, oh, the liberal left should love this. <laughs> yeah, they should love this. Yeah. So it, it's just indicative of this whole presidency, just him tweeting things and yeah. left and right, whether he's going to do it or not. I don't know. Yeah. I, uh, it's, um, it's, it's about as far removed from a solution to our issues with immigration as you can possibly find a little trash talking from Donald Trump there. Uh, and, uh, and finally, uh, uh, this is Rom's farewell tour of sorts. And yesterday I had a rip-roaring uh, <laughs> debate with Tom McNamee. I urge everybody to check it out. Not today, not now, but uh, it was on yesterday's Holy show. Cow, I thought I had to separate. <laughs> <laughs> hey, whoa, hold up, Tom McNamee. <laughs> uh, on the issue of, Tom, of, of Rom and his legacy, uh, did you by any chance listen to uh, I actually edited the story that Fran Spielman wrote about his, uh, you know, farewell, his last day in city council. I think the photographer who went out there, um, she, she told me that I forgot how long she said that they were there for five hours. And she said it was the longest city council meeting that she's ever been assigned to. And I was editing the story and, uh, you know, we put in pictures of Rom getting emotional and it seemed like he got emotional a couple of times from Fran's story and the photographer, Ashley Resin, who was out there. She goes, we have this really good picture of him with his tear coming out. So I put that I put that uh, picture in there and there was a joke made about, oh, I guess he's not a robot after all. I'm not going to say whether I made that joke or not, but um, there were there were a couple pictures of him tearing up and. Um, I think it was pretty sincere. That's my opinion. I think Brom deserves to be criticized just like any other mayor mm -hmm. and just like any other politician. But I don't know. I, I think it was sincere. So our, uh, well, I'm, by the way, uh, Michael O'Connor, my next guest, get ready for the question. Real tear, crocodile tear, Michael O'Connor. <laughs> I, so, I got a feeling where I know I, Michael's I, going with it. I don't, you know, I mean, oh, he, he yeah. talked a little bit about his kids, mm -hmm. you know, and it was kind of funny because uh, I think uh, he used the word, 
uh, he used a Yiddish word to talk about his son and how he grew up. It was called oh, Pisher. Pisher. Yeah, little Pisher. And and yeah. when I saw it, I was like, what <laughs> is this? Does she mean? I was like, and then I I, I figured it was a Yiddish word. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, call, I I emailed Franz Spielman. I'm like, I'm assuming this is a Yiddish word and it's not a typo. It's not like pisser or anything like that. And then she was like, no, no, it's Fisher. She did you guys put pisser. it in a, italicized? Like, aren't you supposed to put italicized? Oh, word? when it's like a Yiddish yeah, word, when a it's a foreign word. word. Yeah, yeah. I left it as it is, but I don't know. I, there are some parts of it. I think I saw Fran uh, tweeting about it. She didn't put this in her stir- story about Marge Lorino was trying to use Yiddish words when saying goodbye to him and mispronouncing everything. So I thought that was kind of funny she didn't have she didn't have that in her story and then of course like i kind of cracked up just reading you know there were some you know rom allies who were waxing on about him but the funniest was alderman burnett calling him a hustler in a good way in a good way and then he called him hebrew homie my hebrew homie yeah, yeah that that made me laugh and then uh we mentioned that in the meeting and uh I think the headline, Fran had written her own headline for that story, and someone told me to make sure I put Hebrew homie in the headline, so I put that in there. Was it in the headline? It was in her headline online. Oh, online. It uh, it said, you know, you know, mayor gets fond for well, and I wrote call Hebrew homie. <laughs> so uh, I had to squeeze that in there. We only have a certain amount of letters we can use in a well, headline. Well, so. you know, I got to tell you, uh, the... Um, there's something there's something about the city council when they meet and they get teary-eyed about things yeah that always i'm not saying i'm yeah. not saying you know if i was probably sitting there you know one of my first assignments at city news uh, was covering city council uh-huh. and i have definitely sat through hearings that went on and on and when they start bragging about someone that they're trying to you know whoever they're trying to kiss ass can i use that word yeah. but anyway uh, so sorry kiss butt yeah as you oh, could no, say that yeah. <laughs> so, apparently you haven't heard our interviews with monroe Anderson. yeah you keep monroe Anderson i didn't i, I figured we can't use certain words there's some words you know, it's a podcast it's but all, i remember i'd yeah. be sitting there and i'd be like oh my god can they stop talking already and yeah. they would go on and on and when it was about you know someone that they had to praise it wouldn't stop and i i couldn't believe and, and i learned how to turn like stop listening after a while it was it was pretty painful and I was like in my 20s at the time and I'd be like I, my eyes would cross sometimes at how long people would go on and on but sometimes I would get annoyed with certain people who are on the other end too so it 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 would it, 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 city council hearings are definitely interesting yeah. and they can go on forever and aldermen have a tendency when they get the mic they do not put it down sometimes yeah. so and I'm then, sure. I'm sure if I was sitting there, I haven't covered city council in so long. So you know, when I see Rom crying, I was like, "Oh." I think he's actually cried uh, at least three other times uh, in his administration. Daly was crying all the time. If you <laughs> remember, uh, I remember being in college when he cried. Uh, I remember him seeing the first. I think the first time I saw him cry on TV was when his son had yes. that party. Mm-hmm. He seemed he seemed pretty choked up about that. He got emotional about that. Yeah, he I got remember emotional. that. Yeah, his son. Some, somebody went after somebody else with a baseball. Yeah, bat. there was a bat involved. Yeah. It was a party in one of his like it was in Indiana. It was like a different Michigan, state. Yeah, 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 it was a different state. So I remember that. Uh, yeah, no, I. But I, I know you probably think Rom wasn't really crying, but I think he, no, I think he was he really, really crying. I, uh, I think. Yeah, no, I, I would never say he wasn't crying. <laughs> you're he just was saying crying. that you're just saying where they crocodile. Yeah. Yeah, they like I think real tears or you know I mean uh, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt and saying he was crying he was crying because what he was why because time has passed is it was he thinking about you know time passing or maybe some of the criticism and yeah. just like wondering <laughs> like oh what what has happened but I think he's just kind of reminiscing about the things he's done and 
thinking about his kids in the next chapter in his well, life. I'm trying to, I, like I said, I'm trying to give him the benefit no, of the doubt. Know, there's a, um, a Fiddler on the Roof. Have you ever seen that play where they sing um, uh, Sunrise, I think we had to, Sunset? We had to si- we, I don't know. We had to sing Fiddler on the Roof. Okay, I think Sunrise, in, Sunset. There's no, never saw it. But, people are weeping when the sunrise, you know, like about a little girl growing up and getting married and people weep. So maybe Ram in his mind was singing <laughs> Sunrise, Sunset, and then the tears just pour. Anyway, that we call method acting, I believe, method acting. Um, all right, now, Romana, I cannot let you leave this room. All right, we, we missed the opportunity last week. Uh, your review, your mini review of the movie Us. I liked it. I wasn't scared by it, but I, I, didn't, I didn't think I was going to be scared by it, given mm-hmm. based on what I read about it, because I'm not really that terrified by slasher films. I'm more terrified by films about the devil and you know spiritual like madness like that like kind of scares me more yeah exorcist rosemary's baby uh, omen rosemary's baby is no those joke. scare me yeah um but um i, I knew this was going to be more of a statement movie and i thought it was good what was the statement i think that the statement i've read you know because there's so many things different individuals are taking from the film but the film is supposed to talk about the state of our country and whether we're all, what responsibility we all have to get to the state or the state that we're in right now. And, you know, the question, I, I, I think I read also somewhere someone said, you know, immigration is a question. Privilege is something that I've heard people talk about, um, the haves and the have nots. Mm-hmm. And uh, the most interesting perspective I read is maybe the monster is us. Whoa. Hence so us yeah. yeah so and i've read you know i've read different That's I, after one, i yeah. saw the film i've read different uh, analysis of the film so well i urge analysis. everybody to see the movie uh it's uh, in my humble opinion a great fun movie to watch uh it's more comic in my opinion than scary although yeah i thought there was like there's some references that were really funny i think if you were came of age in the 80s or like even the 90s my younger sister is probably around the age of the actual like the main characters the parents in the film mm-hmm. so when they made the home alone joke we we kind of laughed because i did like when i was little at when i my younger sister was little she made me always she always to watch home alone yeah so they made the reference about home alone and micro minis that were in the movie and one of the kids like what's micro what what's a micro mini and the other kid said what's home alone yeah. so i thought that no, was pretty funny I'm t- t- the other thing about this movie that's so much fun um is just so filled with references to this that it's like a quentin tarantino movie in this regard so hands many, across america that was the something yeah I hands thought across, about. yeah the, from the 80s i mean it's just so many references and allusions and tributes to other movies and like if you're a movie geek you can really take that deep dive go see it two or three times a lot of thought, uh, uh, Jordan Peele's us. All right, Romana Hussein, we call it the Romana Rundown. T-shirts are being manufactured as we speak. We sold out on the first batch. <laughs> yeah, that first batch, we'll have to make some more. Uh, thanks so much, Romana, for coming in. I know you got to go back and do some more editing, uh, so we won't keep you long. we got Michael O'Connor sitting by. Have a great weekend, Romana. You too, thanks. All right, I'll bring Michael O'Connor on right after this. Hey there, producer Dennis here. Thanks for finding and listening to the brand new Ben Jarofsky Show. All right, so here's how this works. The Ben Jarofsky Show live streams on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m. Once the show is over, you can listen to the replay on our YouTube channel or we throw it online for you to download by 4 p.m. 
Where can you download The Ben Jarofsky Show, you may be asking yourself? Well, you may be asking yourself a fantastic question. You can find previous Ben Jarofsky shows and guest interviews through several outlets. The Chicago Sun-Times Online, chicago.suntimes.com. The Chicago Reader Online, chicagoreader.com. And wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, pick one. Just search for The Ben Jarofsky Show. J-O-R-A. V is in victory, S-K-Y. So, let's recap. Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m., live streamed on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel and downloadable by 4 at chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Yes, the Ben Jarofsky Show is back. We're live and downloaded. Tell your friends and enjoy the rest of the show. Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. And Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. Com. Hey, everybody. Producer Dennis here. Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Friday, March 12th is just moments away. But before we get into hour number two, we my microphone's kind of crazy there. We'd have we'd like to thank the following unions for bringing the Ben Jarofsky show back. First up, it's the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8. Thank you to the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9 and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. Thank you once again to those unions for jumping on board with us here and bringing the Ben Jarofsky Show back. And, of course, today's show is brought to you by our friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two, let's go. Thank goodness it is Friday, April 12th. And live from the Chicago Reader Sometimes Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, it's Chicago News Junkie Michael O'Connor, and we welcome legendary political strategist, the one, the only, Delmarie Cobb. And now your host, almost legendary <laughs> Chicago Reader columnist, uh, Benny J. Benjarovsky. All right, yes. Almost legendary. You're getting there. Uh, by the way, I got a text from Delmarie Cobb. She's on her way. Love it when my guests are on their way or when they come early, as uh, Michael O'Connor did. Uh, Michael O'Connor was a frequent caller and, and guest on my old show, that old show that's in the past. And we're looking forward to that in the future. So I said, well, I can get Michael O'Connor back to the studio to see what he has to say. Uh, he would always call up and he would end his calls with, and that's my comment. The man had his 
own line, all right? Uh, just, it, Michael, it, so you know, when we would go bowling, like, you know, we'd get done bowling, and we'd go, and that's my comment. If, yeah. it, was oh my if it was a strike. If it was a strike. If it was a gutter ball, that wasn't much of a comment. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so we have a whole thing we're going to talk to Michael O'Connor about. Before we do that, Dr. D, you got an update for me? Absolutely, I do. First off, right now, post it on both Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook and Twitter pages, at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show. It's the latest Chicago Reader column from our very own Ben Jarofsky. The article has a simple title, A New Deal. Benny J, what will the people learn when reading your latest work? Oh, my goodness. Okay, this... <laughs> You'll learn how, among other things, schizophrenic I am. Oh, awesome. Uh, th- this, is, uh, this was the story. All right, so, f- folks, my deadline for writing my reader columns uh, is Monday. And at that point, we did not know which way the city council was going to go in the Lincoln Yards deal and the 78 deal. And at that moment in time... Uh, 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 just blank. Lori Lightfoot had said that she wanted to suspend... The uh, proceedings, because she was going to have her team of lawyers, like uh, who's who of all-star lawyers, rip apart the documents, take a look at every crack and quarter and crevice to see if this was in the, a good deal for the people of Chicago. The taxpayers of the city of Chicago could take a hard look at it. I'm like, yeah, finally, someone taking a hard look at the tips. And I was so happy. I was like dancing and singing and doing, the, you know, my, my imitation of Tom Cruise and uh, Risky Business. Uh, oh, I hope you had pants on. <laughs> And then, uh, so anyway, that that's the article I wrote, the column I wrote at that moment, uh, because you know I didn't know what the future would bring. And then I said, and like, ooh man, it was like I had this moment of somebody call me up and go, Ben, Ben, as we speak right now, uh, Patrick O'Connor, Alderman Patrick O'Connor. <laughs> Is already saying, well, we're going to just suspend the rules or suspend the meeting and come back on Wednesday. I'm like, uh oh. Uh oh. A deal has been. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, I wanted to sort of balance my optimism with that just inner pessimism, that cynical attitude that nothing in Chicago will ever work out right, that always in Chicago evil will triumph over good, that behind the scenes, while I'm jumping for joy and saying, oh my God, reform is here. The evil uh, characters who control this city are like, you know, already plotting. And sure enough, two days later, Lori raised the white flag. Surrender! <laughs> and they got their TIFF deal. So Michael you Cotter, for that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so I'm sure he's going to weigh in. So that's what my column is about. All right, everybody, go check out his article after today's show, all right? When you're done, li- uh, when you're done listening to today's show, go read the article, all right? Yes. At Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y-J Show. And speaking of our social media pages, we are patiently waiting to hit 1,200 likes mm-hmm. on the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page. And as soon as we do, we will have our next caption contest. The last one was a blast, all right? It was uh, Mayor Rahm welcoming Lori Lightfoot into uh, the mayor's office caption contest. Mm -hmm. So many captions. We're looking looking for uh, to do that again here with this next one here. I think we're going to do a Donald Trump caption contest. We haven't done uh, one of those since the (laughs) Benny J Show reboot. So we're waiting to hit 1,200, and right now on the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page, we are at (laughs) 1,000. 100. 20. Oh, come on, everybody. 
two. All right. Yeah, 1,122 likes. So That's if you're, not bad. Eh, you know, we're, it's a grassroots campaign. It's you know, and uh, the last the place we were at, they got rid of our Facebook page, so <laughs> yeah, we had to start from out. zero. We had like 4,500. Uh, well, but hey, whatever. So Onward and upward. and upwards. <laughs> Looking right. ahead, not behind. So if you're listening to this right now, whether live or on the download, and you've yet to like the Ben Jarofsky Show on Facebook, our download numbers have doubled, by the way, so I know that you're out there. Today's the day. Tonight's the night. This weekend is the weekend. Like the Benny J Show on Facebook. Tell your friends. And when we hit 1,200 likes, we will have our next caption contest. All right. I do have an actual update here on okay. Alderman. Ed Burke oh, update. Yeah. Mm. Oh Lord. Oh Lord. Oh my. Yeah. And the latest federal. Bo- the following comes from the, sh- <laughs> the following comes from the Chicago Sun Times and uh, John Seidel, Tim Novak, and Robert Hergeth. Uh, in the latest federal blow to Alderman Ed Burke, a Lake Forest developer, has been indicted on federal bribery charges after he allegedly agreed to steer private legal businesses to the alderman in connection with a permit request and tax financing deal for a northwest side redevelopment project. Can you guys not be creepy weirdos for like a week? <laughs> This is the same Ed Burke. I think he was weeping about uh, Rom leaving office the other day in the city council. Uh, yeah, this is a TIF deal, folks. All those TIF deals. This is one on the northwest side of Chicago. Uh, I think it's uh, Irving and uh, Irving in Milwaukee. Don't quote me on that because I read the article uh, hastily before I came in here. It was, the story is just breaking. Uh, so uh, supposedly um, there's a bribery uh, and uh, allegation of bribery on a TIF deal. And Ed was trying to shake down more business for his property tax as if he didn't have enough already. And uh, this is the same Ed Burke, who was the chairman of the Finance Committee for years and years and years and oversaw every single TIF deal that came through the city council. Uh, and uh, the same Ed Burke, who has a very uh, flourishing uh, property tax appeal business. Come and, on, Fed Ed. And the same Ed Burke, who was reelected by the citizens of the 14th Ward, even though he's under indictment. In a landslide. In a landslide. <laughs> Uh, the, the the people have spoken, Dennis, and sometimes I don't always agree with the people when they speak. Uh, hey, you know what? Look, let me tell you something. Eddie V and and Ed Burke have been cutting up for the last what forty years? Yeah, yeah, at least forty Eddie years. V, Eddie Verdoliak. Eddie Verdoliak. Yeah, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. They just they just tore down his uh, um, his business on um, um, on Chicago in Dearborn just the other day. They tore that entire block. You're down. kidding? Is, is there a, a big oh that big project? The, yeah, the big there, project. So, right, they right, getting ready right, to right. put us out over there yeah. at the Lawson House, and then he getting they getting ready to do a. I believe that's part of the infrastructure fund situation with Brian Hopkins that uh, Lori and them need to be looking into. And I have a feeling that I could be wrong. And maybe this is hopeful thinking, but I got a feeling there was a setup. All right, now, uh, which, what was it? Wait, hold on. First of all, that voice you hear Lincoln is Yard. Michael O'Connor, and uh, longtime political activist, uh, former aide to Constance Howard for State Representative Connie Howard. What a memory I have. The yes, man knows do. more about politics than many people in the city of Chicago. Uh, and particularly, and I just have to start off with this. Uh, at the old show, Michael would sometimes be the commentator during Pride Parade. Man knows a lot about oh, yeah. uh, gay and lesbian politics in the city of Chicago. So, Michael, reflecting back on all these years of struggles, uh, you, you, 
before I start ripping Lori Lightfoot for uh, Lincoln Yards, let's just take a moment to reflect upon the historical significance of her getting elected in the first place. Well, I, you know what? It hasn't been that long ago that they used to, when you would go out to the bars, um, and I'm not even, I, I'm just going to deal with the north side right quick, but... On the south side, it was even worse. You had to give somebody an envelope over at Jeffrey. I can't say the full name. Don't say it. Right, right. (laughs) But somewhere on 71st, right off of Jeffrey, somewhere within that block where there was a bar, still is, by the way, where they had to literally hand the cops an envelope just so we could dance with each other. It hasn't been that long. I'm not that old, Mm -hmm. okay? And now we have an open lesbian, not gay, lesbian mayor. You know, she's the L uh, in the LGBTQ. Mm -hmm. She's the L. And to, and to see that, I never thought I would see that, just like I never thought I saw hell when, you know, I helped Hell Washington come in. And I know some black folks, you know, get upset when you make the comparisons, but the fact of the matter is I wake up, I wake up black, I wake up gay every day, and I don't separate the two. I shouldn't have to. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's a whole thing of watching people move from the, a struggling class to... Uh, um, the class struggle that is commonly referred to in politics, because that's all politics is. It's a class struggle. Those without trying to get those individuals who don't have, who do have, trying to make sure that they keep it, if not getting more. Mm-hmm. You know, the one percent is the other part. So as far as I'm concerned, yeah, we've come a long way, and I do mean long way. But I do believe that this is not going to be easy. The woman hasn't been sworn in yet, mm-hmm. and they wearing her out already. So I mean, you know. <laughs> What do you, how do you, uh, you know, this is a repeat of history for yeah. me, but, uh, you know, for those who don't know history, they don't know it's a repeat. Now, she didn't went from Chicago to Springfield. She going to be back. I mean, she had to deal with the fact this deal was already done. All right, let's know. talk about, you said it was a setup. You think the Lincoln you Yards was a setup. All right, explain what you mean by that. Look, it don't take much, much let me just say this. Anytime anybody, she's a former federal prosecutor mm-hmm. who used to head procurement. Mm-hmm. For the city of Chicago. For the city of Chicago. Mm-hmm. Now, first she said, and you correct me if I was wrong, they, she was saying that she opposed the deal because there were some issues concerning finance in terms of the issues that the taxpayers was going to have to deal with. Mm-hmm. So if she saw that then, then. And that was before they gave her the 600-page contract mm-hmm. at the at the end of the evening, like 4.59 yeah. p.m. Friday. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know what time it is. She had yeah. to get a, a team of attorneys together who, uh, who she could trust, who could take 100 pages each, maybe 50 pages each, go through those things, and come back with a response and do it as far as within an insightful time because the broader meter – they on their ass about it. Mm-hmm. They want answers, even though it's unfair. But the fact that it's unfair, you know, most of the media, they, that's never been an issue. So I believe that there are some issues that Brian Hopkins, Brian Hopkins had the nerve to say, we're going to do it anyway. And quite frankly, he implied without actually saying it, you know, F you. That's yeah. what he did. Well, in your humble opinion, your political observer, uh, observer been around town a she long time. She yeah. set him up. She set him up. She's going to pick up the phone. 
soon as she gets sworn in, I think May 21st, yeah. you're going to see a lot more indictments based on a lot more of these contracts that city council people ran through. All right, let me and ask you I this question. In your humble opinion, okay, if Lori Lightfoot had said, you know what, I don't want this passed right now. I want to be uh, the mayor. I want to have all the powers of the mayor to really go through this contract and see what it means, see what the financial implications are for the taxpayers of the city of Chicago if you're going to make all this land tax exempt. What's that going to do to everybody's property taxes? So if she had said that, and I, do you think the city council would have voted to defy her, or do you think they would have uh, held the vote? In your Come humble on, opinion. Benny. Hell no. Excuse my language. I apologize <laughs> to all the listeners that normally would never hear me, you know, curse. But under no circumstances. Come on. Look. Under First, no circumstances what? Under no circumstances would they have stopped the train from rolling. They literally knew what they were doing. They walked in. Look, the vote that's taken outside or excuse me, that's taken in inside the city council, mm-hmm. behind the cham- chambers. They've already, you don't go to city council without the numbers first. Mm-hmm. They knew what they were going to do. Rom knew what he was going to do. When she was walked into his fifth floor office, some people would call that. Well, I'm a I, I try to be a faith based I- individual, so that would have been a uh, uh, um, a uh, walking into the dying's den. Mm-hmm. You know, the di- far as the lions den. Lions den. Yeah. She knew what she was doing, and when she came out, you could see it on her face with what that that small shot that they did, and she wanted to say, well, she had this. MF look on her face <laughs> while she was smiling. Yeah. And she had to do that. So I get it. Yeah. I just think that there's no way. It's too much money. We're talking about 1.5 billion yeah. with a B, and that's just for one project. Yeah. We're talking about what, six billion maybe when all is said and done. And when the private money's put in as well, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, with the private money. So I asked the question, who's do who's raising the bond how are the bonds being floated for this? Which houses are getting this money? Which of the investment houses are getting this money and i would conclude you know just you know just you know don't tell nobody just me and you talking yeah okay uh, <laughs> we're talking about yeah. uh the house of david as an investment firm and did you hear me yeah i don't okay. know what you were saying but whatever i'll let that well, one go let me just say that i think quite frankly that the investment houses that are over at the cboe and the cbot and rom and them have made the same type of uh far as unofficial um far as agreement that daly made with his law firm and the parking meter so you think there's some uh inside dealing here all right now michael o'connor let me ask you this um do you were you excited by the election of Lori lightford or were you a tony preckwinkle supporter i was standing on the stage with Lori lightford i was standing with tim timio black and zenobia black i mean you know we're talking about the architects of the first class struggle change that we've had that I've seen in my lifetime, yeah, mm. I was, I was, I was happily happy, you know, because and it, it wasn't just because of the identity politics that is associated with it, but the identity that I looked at her platform. You know, I'm a my degrees in political science. Mm. I I owe student loans because I went to school uh, now instead of maybe forty years years ago. So. I learned how to read platforms, and I like 
her platforms when it comes to public safety, when it comes to what they're going to do with the public schools, that f- those 50 schools that they close, and the inclusivity of CPS in-, in terms of resources. But I also understand that she got a major debt. So how is we got to pay that pension? So we're going to pay that pension, and whatever money that is left over is what the city of Chicago is going to run on unless she's going to kick the can down the road. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just like I'm with her up on that stage, I'll turn against her, okay, if she talk crazy, because I am, as you well know, an economically disadvantaged, uh, sage, African-American, openly gay man. And... I want my money just like everybody else. Are you pessimistic or optimistic when you look at where Chicago is right now? Do you, when you see the new aldermen who are coming in, when you see the new mayor coming in, uh, is there a part of you uh, that feels the way you did, let's say, in 1983 when Harold Washington won, uh, or are you uh, a more jaded uh, observer of these things. <laughs> I shouldn't be more jaded, and I try not to be. That's why I try to read as much as possible. Mm-hmm. But I really do. I mean, some of these aldermen. Oh my God, I can't begin to to express my disappointment, disillusion, um, uh, the double cross. Because I go to council meetings. Mm-hmm. I I know about the fight for public comments that uh, people had to fight, had to sue the city mm-hmm. just to get, what, 10 minutes? I, I, I don't even I'm think not even saying it's 10 minutes. Is it three minutes? I can't remember. It may, three yeah, you know, minutes. see, Rom, Rom, look, Rom did not fool me because Daly did not fool me, mm-hmm. all right? Um, so when you ask that question, I have a wait-and-see attitude with some of the situations. I was disappointed to see Brian Hopkins do what he did because look here's the deal in the second ward i live in the second ward 45th precinct mm-hmm. and i want you to know you couldn't go when you walk in his office if if your first sentence was not lincoln yards you was kicked to the curb <laughs> brian hopkins uh so folks who don't know this is the second ward alderman and he was uh to put it mildly it's one of the the leading proponent for the lincoln yards deal that's the north side deal as opposed to the 78 which is south side deal. This is one way oh, uh, yeah, not south side really south tough. loop deal uh interesting thing the south loop deal there is no alderman uh in the 25th <laughs> ward at the moment because well there is technically danny Solis, but nobody knows where he is ever since he was uh it came out that he was wearing the wire right uh, i and, thought he was in federal protection well that was my joke i have no idea where oh. he is <laughs> I, I made that joke so yeah uh he, i just don't know where he went uh but he's not around and so the, i just love this they, they passed the deal anyway there's so there's no sitting alderman we're supposed to have aldermanic prerogative in this town we're supposed to have aldermen or kings and queens of all of all zoning in their matter Anyway, there is no alderman, and and the alderman we have, the the alderman elect is against it, but they passed it anyway. Right, right. And and you know what I found interesting? One of the people who owned part of that land was Tony Resco. So Uh, did he get his money? Yeah, that was years ago. Tony Resco has lost. I've written about this in the reader, and uh, I'll have to go back and reread the article. Michael, I uh, can't recall when Tony Resco lost control of it. But Tony Resco, just for people okay. who are new to the game, uh, was a longtime Wheeler dealer in Illinois and Chicago politics. Raised mm-hmm. money for uh, Rod Bogoyevich, uh, and uh, actually was a neighbor. Barack. He was a 
a neighbor yeah. of Barack Obama uh, down in her own property next to Barack's house right. uh, in Kenwood. And uh, he went to federal prison on charges. I forget what the charges, some kind of corruption all charges, of all kind of wrong. stuff. I can't right. remember what it was. <laughs> but he controlled the land that's uh, Roosevelt and Clark Street where uh, the 78 is going up. He controlled that land uh, for years and years. And uh, there was a TIF deal in the works to develop the land when he owned it. And then he got in trouble, and they dropped the TIF deal, and he lost the land, and now okay. somebody else completely owns it. And I don't think he has any. I don't believe he's getting any money out of this at well, all. He's lost. Whoever's getting the money from it, the fact of the matter is, is that they got paid with no alderman. Now, the aldermanic discretion. I'm really, you know, I've heard the argument. I've heard the argument that the aldermen should have their own discretion, but I've seen the bad I- examples of that, mm-hmm. and the Lincoln Yard is a bad example. The 78 Trail, that's a bad example, but that is the, they're the alderman. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you know, the complexity of this situation is not lost on me, but I just think that there needs to be, shine a light on this stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, they aren't doing that. And I don't think, I'll be quite, anybody thinks that she's going to walk in and everything is going to be love and, you know, Mm -hmm. May 20th. No, they already got their knives out because her campaign, if she does half of what she said she was going to do, most of those people are either going to jail or they're going to be out. And I got a feeling some of them are going to jail because you can't tell me that she's a former federal prosecutor, that she cannot pick up the phone inadvertently, Mm -hmm. very quietly, and make sure that the Justice Department, Trump's Justice Department, does not come in here. Now, I know that makes me sound like a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> it does. But it does. Yeah, but living I, in Chicago I know do it that does, to you. But yes. Okay. And righteously so. Because I, they've nev- they never put J- Daly in jail. Yeah. He never went to jail. So, uh, you know, it's for, even though busloads of people who were far as affiliated with his administration, they went. Yeah, people went to jail under the daily years and the, the bus feds, loads. The feds, uh, well, it would have been a kind of a small bus, but anyway, you could fill them up. <laughs> I don't know, like how big the bus is. The ones <laughs> they wear helmets on. <laughs> okay, but uh, some daily people uh, did go to jail. My guess is Michael O'Connor, a political activist, been around the Chicago uh, for a long, long time. We're talking politics. He was a Lori, uh, Lori Lightfoot supporter. I did know that. You told me that. I forgot got it that you were on stage that you were a Lori Lightfoot uh, yeah, I'm, supporter. I'm, I'm, so you weren't moved to buy uh, Tony Preckwinkle's appeal, huh? Uh, to- <laughs> <laughs> See, you wrong for that. <laughs> Let me just say this. Okay. If they begin the process of coalescing with each other to make sure that jobs and contracts go into the bungalow belt uh-huh. uh, all over the city, but specifically on the south and west side, that would be great. That would be a great start in terms of trans uh, uh, transparency. Mm-hmm. But I, I, you know, Tony can be quite interesting in her response. And let's face it, I don't understand how the Cook County. Democratic Party head loses in the Cook County, the largest county out of the 118 that they, out of the 108 that they have here in the state. And Mike Madigan is nowhere to be found. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something's wrong well, here with this mix. Yeah, he uh, was obviously uh, sta- either staying out of this election or so. Uh, uh, I believe he left when Daly left. He left the kitchen. When Daly left. All right, I now I have to wrong. ask you this question. Uh, I raised this uh, with uh, Romana, and uh, we were talking about Rom's farewell. Uh, Rom, 
<laughs> Michael Encounter's got an answer. I haven't even asked the question yet. All right. Uh, crocodile tears or real tears, Michael O'Connor? I think his fine arts degree came in handy. <laughs> I think the class in ballet dancing uh, came in handy. His class in theater definitely came in handy because he has, I've seen him do this before. I was in the city council when he cried like, you know, cried like a baby when he admitted that there was a code of silence. Mm. So I'm not, I, I would not be a bit surprised if the night before he got in the mirror and, you know, put some onions in the, <laughs> handkerchief and you know caught no this stuck crocodile tears that's that's yeah that's the that's let's just say that's a nice way of putting it i believe this guy if he was crying he was crying because he will not be mayor now yesterday we uh played uh we had some audio from rom's speech we got to play one clip still we played uh we had six of them we played five you want to play the one clip we uh, yet play to play the ones, yet? yeah right before del marie comes in all right absolutely uh -oh. here we go <laughs> Michael Connor, feel free to weigh in. Right. It should not be lost on any of us that there were those who stood in the way of some of those gains and who will try, now that I depart, to roll them back. We cannot go back to the days of endless financial and academic crisis at the Chicago Public Schools, really? both of which we helped bring to an end. Oh, we wow. not, cannot go back to the shortest school day and the shortest school year in the United States of America. We cannot go back to the days where this U.S. Secretary of Education once called Chicago Public Schools the worst in the country. So if I can ask, as your mayor, for the remaining four weeks, one last favor of each of you. I ask you to stand shoulder to shoulder with our mayor-elect when she becomes mayor. She will need your support to keep our students and our schools moving in the same right direction. Stand united with her in the defense of the hard-won gains. Do not allow those who stood in the way of progress before to reverse the progress we collectively have made over the last wow. eight years. So wow. is that the code for make sure that the teachers unions don't have any type of say in terms of what's happening. Yes. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think See, that's Ron, all right. That, right. That's right. yeah. That's code. And right. uh, yeah. And what he he's didn't saying. Say nothing about the fifty schools. Yeah, he didn't say anything about oh. yeah fifty schools being closed. He didn't say anything about his handpicked uh, CPS CEO going to federal prison on yes, uh, corruption change. charges. He didn't say yes. anything about his next handpicked mm -hmm. CEO of the Chicago Public Schools uh, leaving uh, because special ed money wasn't getting to where it was supposed to be. Special ed classrooms. Right. So he was ignoring all that, and what he was doing was condensing the eight years of his lead leadership on the issue of education and public schools to a fight in which he was on the good side, and the Chicago Teachers Union, on name, but certainly suggested, right. was on the wrong side. So what, he's coming out like he came in, Michael O'Connor and Dr. D. He came in fighting the Teachers Union, and he's leaving fighting okay. the Teachers Union. And you know what, Karen Lewis and them, I, you know what, let me tell you something. Even though uh, Karen Lewis and them supported uh, Tony Tony Prontwinkle, it yeah. made sense for them. Yeah, because of the fact that uh, well, those places where I'm at, most of my community aren't part of union jobs. They don't have jobs at all. Mm -hmm. So I'm not from the school necessarily of the unions are all for all. I believe that's their mission. I come from the A. Philip Randolph 
aspect of what unionism is. Mm -hmm. But Rahm Emanuel talking about the schools and having the nerve to ask city council, this is the height of hypocrisy. Mm -hmm. It really is. And and he ought to be ashamed of himself. And also I think, uh, uh, just uh, listening to you talk, I think there's also an underground message against the notion of an elected school board. I right. believe that's there as well when he talks about the city council standing and supporting our new mayor. Uh, she had already spoken out against Rob Markwick's plan uh, to have, I think, 21. Uh, yeah, that's elect- because Rob, Mar- Mar- Rob Markwick walked into her press conference yes. acting the damn fool for yeah. <laughs> doing it on Tony's part. Yeah, yes. and, and you know what? Let me just say this. Uh-huh. She does not look like, uh, Lori does not look like the type of person who forgets. Okay, her, she went down, and, and then I, I noticed the timables about that. Mm-hmm. Rob Mobwick went down to Springfield, and all of a sudden, next thing you know, he he throws in a bill to put 21. I think it should be a little lower. I think she thinks it should be a little lower. I, I haven't really twenty one members of the Congress. Chicago School Board. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I we have seventy seven communities where if you want to do that, do seventy seven. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, that's our number. Rob Markwick, state representative from the Northwest Side of Chicago, will be our guest next week, talking about this and many other oh, really? issues. Yeah, he'll be coming right here, sitting in that very seat where you'll be sitting. Uh, but yes, indeed. Uh, so she uh, has opposed uh, his bill. She said it has to be changed, has to be amended. In her humble opinion, who knows. Uh, how much wheeling and dealing will happen before we pass an elected school board bill. I'm not certain it's even going to happen in this session. It passed, I believe, in the House, I want to say. Right. And it always gets stalled in the Senate. Yeah, they they stalled in the Senate. Culleton and them are going to stall it based on the fact that two things are happening. First, there are 19 votes we know Mm -hmm. of in the House, even though they passed it. It's not that many in the Senate. Uh, Marwick is not, how can I put this, um, well-respected in the Senate. He's been there a while. But he's been the, he's in the House, yeah. Yeah, yeah. he's in the House, mm-hmm. but I, I mean, he's been in the Illinois General Assembly. I think right now people are a lot more concerned about the public safety situation. There are so many bills that are going on concerning public safety and the CPS and the public safety issues. I mean, you know, with this just thing that we just saw on the front of the Sun-Times, I know that uh, 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 Jackie, Jackie, um, Senator Jackie Collins got a, had a bill that came out fifty three to zip, mm-hmm. fifty three to zip. That's unheard of concerning wrongful convictions. You got a lot of students who are who get in trouble in CPS on the school ground, and they're pipeline right into the police department. You know, when you and I went to school, if we hmm. got in a fight. Well, we may have got our ass whooped by the principal, maybe, (laughs) but we didn't go to jail. Yeah, yeah. And now these people have records. Yeah. So Uh, it's a a new day. All right, that's Michael Connor. I'm Ben Draza. I think it's time we take a break. We'll be right back after this. I was having so much fun. (laughs) This weekend, come explore the Admiral Theater's dark side. It's Strip Wars Volume 1, The Phantom Stripper, a parody show live at the Admiral Theater, 3940 West Lawrence and Pulaski, April 11th, 12th, and 13th in a theater not so far away. Do not miss Strip Wars, The Phantom Stripper, a parody show live at the Admiral Theater. For more information, call 773-478-8111 or visit AdmiralX.com. This is a totally nude show. Must be 18 years or older to enter.
Hey there, producer Dennis here. Thanks for finding and listening to the brand new Ben Jarofsky Show. All right, so here's how this works. The Ben Jarofsky Show live streams on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m. Once the show is over, you can listen to the replay on our YouTube channel or we throw it online for you to download by 4 p.m. Where can you download the Ben Jarofsky Show, you may be asking yourself? Well, you may be asking yourself a fantastic question. You can find previous Ben Jarofsky shows and guest interviews through several outlets. The Chicago Sun-Times Online, chicago.suntimes.com. The Chicago Reader Online, chicagoreader.com. And wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, pick one. Just search for The Ben Jarofsky Show. J-O-R-A. V is in victory. S-K-Y. So, let's recap. Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m., live streamed on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel and downloadable by 4 at chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Yes, the Ben Jarofsky Show is back. We're live and downloaded. Tell your friends and enjoy the rest of the show. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Benny J, take it away. Will do. I'm ha- happy to say Delmarie Cobb has entered the building. Delmarie Cobb has entered the building. Political strategist extraordinaire. Been around Chicago almost as long as I have been. I thought I'm, I'm the oldest person in the city of Chicago. Nobody else even comes close. Delmarie, <laughs> though, uh, has been around for a few years, has seen a few things. Welcome to my new show, Delmarie. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you here. And uh, the new show, there's no phone calls, so no more of those phone interviews with Delmarie <laughs> Cobb. Uh, you're in the studio live. Before we get started with uh, taking a deep dive into all the local issues, all these things are going on. I know you have opinions about everything. Lori Lightfoot, <laughs> Tony Preckwinkle, Kim Fox, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, tell folks about Ida's legacy, what's, what you have coming up on April 18th. Well, this is our second annual fundraising luncheon. And uh, last year, as you know, we had Hillary Clinton. Mm -hmm. And this year we have Faye Waddleton. She's our guest speaker this year. And the uh, luncheon is on Thursday, April 18th at the Intercontinental Hotel, 505 North Michigan Avenue from 12 to 2. And um, we plan to have a great event. And she's going to talk about, most people know, Faye Waddleton from being the CEO of uh, Planned Parenthood, but she was the youngest CEO of Planned Parenthood. She was the only black uh, CEO, the first black CEO of Planned Parenthood. She had the longest tenure at Planned Parenthood, and she actually built it into the powerhouse it is today by raising $500 million while she was there. Mm. And so she has been an advocate for women's issues, and that's what we were, we were going to have her come to uh, Chicago to talk about. All right, so one more time. The, it is April 18th. April 18th. At what time? From 12 to 2 at the Intercontinental Hotel. And if folks want to get uh, tickets or anything? And if they want to get tickets, they can go online to www.idaslegacy.com or they can call 312-948-9951. All right. 312-948-9951. All right. That's Ida's Legacy. Uh, Faye Waddleton will be in town giving a speech uh, that... Uh, uh, on April 18th. All right, Delmarie Cobb, let's talk a little <laughs> politics. So you're in the studio. We just had a, mayoral, a mayor's election. Our new mayor-elect, Lori Lightfoot. Were you surprised by the 
decisiveness of the march 75 percent i want to say well i i was surprised uh i actually called it but i didn't call it for her necessarily at one point when early on i said that if um the person who came in second uh could get Willie Wilson's votes, mm -hmm. they could win by double digits, yeah. is what I had said. Mm -hmm. And so it turns out that the person who got Willie Wilson's votes was Lori Lightfoot, and she won by double digits. All right, now Willie Wilson's vote is sort of a shorthand for black voters uh, on the west and the uh, south sides who went for Willie Wilson in the first round, went for him last time too. In uh, 2015, that vote, that Willie Wilson vote, ended up going with Rom, and so as a result, he defeated Chuy Garcia. And what, and what happened in 2015? differently is that Willie Wilson actually got the same 50,000 votes in 2019 that he got in 2015. Mm -hmm. But what happened differently is that he waited until the 11th hour to endorse Jesus Garcia. And by then, people had pretty much made up their minds one way or the other. And this time he did it early on. Yeah, so you think his, uh, his um, decision to endorse uh, Lori Lightfoot was decisive? I think the fact that he did it so early and also by him being in the black community in terms of the religious, the faith-based community, he actually gave um, the black community in terms of the churches permission to support Lori Lightfoot. Talk about that. What do you mean by that? You're saying something, but you're not fully saying it. What do you mean by permission? Well, they may not have known Lori Lightfoot. Mm -hmm. um, it's not that she had a real foothold in the black community. And if you look at the first round of her votes, the majority of her votes came from the white community, mm -hmm. and that was her base. Yeah. And so by um, supporting her, it, it, he gave the black community permission to say, one, we may not know her, but if you're, we know you. And if you're supporting her, we'll support her. Yeah. And then the other thing, because he has given money to the black faith community, so so much money, and he's so involved in the black faith community, he also gave them permission to come on board and support her. Now, there was a concern uh, in many places, and Lori Lightfoot supporters were concerned that black voters would not go for her in great numbers because she's openly a lesbian. Uh, do you think we finally disproved that notion uh, that black voters will not vote for people who are openly gay or lesbian? Well, we certainly proved it this time. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we've proved it permanently because I know when I was a radio talk show host on WVON, anytime you wanted the phones to ring, there were two subjects you could bring up. <laughs> <laughs> And, what and were those the two subjects? subjects were anything about homosexuality and anything about a black woman marrying a white man. Yeah. So if you wanted the phones to ring, I mean, I never brought those subjects up because I needed the phones to ring. Yeah. But when I talked about them, you can bet the phones rang. Yeah. Well, that was the other. I remember that question. Was I having that discussion with you? I cannot remember. I had a conversation. Um, could a black man who's married to a white woman get elected uh, in the city of Chicago with black support? Would black people vote for a black man who's married to a... Did, was it you and I having this conversation? I don't know if we did or not. I can't remember. It sounds like the conversation we would <laughs> have. I know. I was going to say it sounds like a conversation we would have. So what do you think about that? Now that well, Let's have the conversation right now. What do you think? You know, I don't know. I mean, um, given that... Uh, Barack Obama also gave permission for interracial relationships. And even though he wasn't in a interracial relationship, he was of an interracial relationship. Mm -hmm. And if you just look at Madison Avenue, ever since Barack Obama was in the White House, 
look at the commercials. The commercials is hardly a commercial that comes on the air Black now man, white that, woman. that doesn't show an interracial relationship. Mm-hmm. And so he mm-hmm. gave Madison Avenue permission to do that and, and also a Hollywood. So uh, given that, you see there's a push and, and people are changing. So times are changing and people are coming along slowly. But I know in the black community, we had a forum in 2016 and we were talking about why Trump one. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we talked about, and it was in a, in a black community and it was the majority of people there were black. And we were saying how, you know, some people are saying the Democratic Party, wait a minute, you're just moving too fast for me. I said, that's what many in rural America were saying. Wait a minute, you're moving too fast. You're talking about using the same restroom. You're talking about transgender. You're talking about this. Oh, wait a minute. And a woman stood up and she said, I'm Democrat and you're moving too fast for me. And so, I mean, but I think, you know, we're inching along and and um, it may be that this was a, a try. We're going to we're going to experiment and we're going to go for it because things can't get any worse for the black community mm-hmm. in Chicago. And so we may as well try it. It's something we don't know about. We know about Tony. We've been with Tony mm-hmm. and maybe it is time for a new day. And so I think that's what we saw. Mm-hmm. And uh, now, wait a minute, wait a minute, Ben. I think there's something else that we have not talked about here. What's that? First of all, not only do we live in the most segregated city here in the country, but just as equally important, there are black folks on the lakefront, in Uptown, in 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 uh, Joe Moore's Ward, 49th Ward, in the 49th Ward. So it's not like I mean, you know, we not all over in it, it, this country was started mm-hmm. over there on Michigan and Wacker. That was uh, uh, Dusabo, mm-hmm. Jean Baptiste. Fars Dusabo. So it's not like we've always been in a self-contained situation. That only happened after 1919 with the riots. So let's deal with a little history here. We are those those areas that were on the lakefront, far out from from the northern city, Fars Limit and uptown. Yeah, Lori won those wars. Those are those are not just black folks. Those are all kind of people. Yeah. I, I, in other words, the point being that when you say she won the north side, uh, it doesn't just mean white people. There's a, right. a lot of people who live on the yeah, north side. Yeah, there are, but we know it's still majority white. Yeah. That's and true. So, and her vote was majority white. And if you looked at her That's election true. night party, it was majority white. Yeah. That's true. Well, well, Delmarie, I have to point this out a little. That's what they show, uh, white histo- men. Uh, historical, uh, going back into history, as uh, Michael suggesting, I remember Tony Perkwinkle uh, first one for Cook County Board Commissioner in a primary back in 2010, and when she was running against Todd Stroger, a lot of her support came from white wards. I thought it was interesting, you know, both these candidates that uh, were running against each other to, for the honor of being the first black woman to be mayor of the city of Chicago uh, had done very well among white voters. Well, Tony had always had the progressive white vote in High Park. Mm-hmm. So she had already come from that. So what she had to do when she ran for Cook County Board President after being the alderman, representing a ward like that that was very mixed, is that she had to expand the white vote. And that's what you saw. And of course, the media were happy to help her expand it because she was the <laughs> darling and they were able to make uh, Todd Stroger a buffoon and mm-hmm. they happily did it. And mm-hmm. that's how she expanded the white vote. And, and, and in some regard, it was the white community that turned against her this time yeah. in that because of the one going back on the one cent sales tax and also the uh, soda tax. And it wasn't that the soda tax necessarily uh, hurt them. Uh, it hurt more black, poor black people than it hurt uh, white people. But right. it was about 
uh, a regressive tax. It was right. about regressive versus progressive. Mm-hmm. Right. One and, of the many regressive for economically disadvantaged uh, black folks in the city. And you, it's the IVI IPO vote mm-hmm. that was in High Park that launched her. But you know what I, but the way I feel about that and what I said to people in terms of that, the, the soda tax didn't hurt her in November. But it, but all of a sudden, and she got reelected. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden, it hurt her in the mayor's race. And what I said to people, if you really look at that vote, and you talk about, or what, what happened with that, not a vote, but what happened with that issue, is that that probably is the only example we in the city of Chicago mm-hmm. have of dem- democracy at work. Mm, what do you mean? She passed mm-hmm. the uh, soda tax. Yeah. The people rejected it mm-hmm. and she repealed it yeah right that's democracy yeah. that's that the way true. it's supposed to work mm-hmm. you do something i don't like i'm supposed to let you know and then you say okay well i'll find another place to cut well you know in my they humble punished opinion, her again too because they could not deal with they punished her and for us because those people that don't follow politics like we politics like we do, they just remember that sugar tax, that bag tax, that parking tax, that camera tax, all of the different regressive taxes that hit poor, usually poor black folks because they're targeted. All right, now listen, I'm going to respectfully disagree with you two here on this particular point, and it's kind of a uh, in-the-weeds point here. I do not believe the soda pop tax uh, and I agree with you. It is, in a, in a, in a twisted way, it is democracy. In Chicago. Just as Council Wars was as close as we've ever come to democracy in Chicago like with a, you know, an oversight over the mayor's bizarre. Only in Chicago would it be like a racial thing, but whatever. Um, I, racial. I think the, uh, yeah, I know that's what I'm saying, that, that uh, the soda pop tax did not hurt her among Northside voters because I think a lot of Northside voters, like, liked the idea of a soda pop tax because first of all as a regressive tax it it didn't bother them as much as poorer people and secondly there was this notion that somehow or other was for good health that it was a good health tax even though that's an inner contradiction of course if you have a tax to raise money uh you can't then say it's for good health because then you're saying it would deter people from buying the soda and you wouldn't raise the money but it was the cumulative effect it wasn't necessarily that that tax hurt her among whites the repealing the one cent sales tax hurt her among whites and among blacks. It was the soda tax. So it was the two the combined. Two and the third thing, of course, and this is so bizarre, oh, Delmarie. Please address this yes. one. Yes. Ed Burke. Oh, I know. Somehow or other, Ed Burke's downfall was used against a black woman. I mean, there are so but many the, but the white other, guys who sailed no, off. And, and I know, and the ridiculous thing about that is that the 20 years that she was in city council, they were enemies. Right. Because she was progressive and he wasn't. Yeah. And so the 20 years that they were there, they, pro- they probably never spoke. Had a, uh, If they had any kind of relationship, it was probably very surface. And then all of a sudden, she becomes the Cook County Board President. She actually strikes up a relationship with his wife, mm-hmm. who's a judge. And it's on the issue of criminal justice reform. That's how they strike up the relationship. And so she gets in the house. He throws her a fundraiser. She's in his house because of that. And he does something wrong because he then tries to allegedly shake down one of his clients to give her money, which she knows nothing about. And then all of a sudden she is 
tied to the hip to Ed Burke, which to me is the craziest part of all because, I mean, she she was my client for eight years uh, when she was an alderman, and I do know she had no relationship with Ed Burke. I did not know she was your client until you just said mm-hmm. that. You should never ask a question if you don't know the answer. <laughs> All right, now, at one point, we had a conversation, and this is before uh, Tony got in the race, and uh, you you said to me, there are no progressives in this race. I, uh, <laughs> I think that I'm paraphrasing. It may not be an exact quote. So now we have Lori Lightfoot as uh, is, is the mayor-elect. She's going to be the mayor. What's your sense of what kind of administration Lori Lightfoot is going to run? It really depends on who she surrounds herself with in terms of what kind of uh, administration she's going to have. And if she surrounds herself with those people who are progressive and have been progressive and have a history of being progressive, then they'll push her. But one issue that I've already heard um, where she may be backing up a little bit is she said she wasn't for a casino, a Chicago casino. Mm -hmm. And then the other day in Springfield... She said she was. And so that, to me, is a stab in the heart because as a progressive, there are so many other uh, ways to raise money other than finding something else that's going to hurt black people because this will do nothing but hurt black people. So we're hanging on by thread now, and you just want to take us all the way over the cliff because that's what will happen. When you look at the the uh, uh, zip code, mm-hmm. And let's take where the near where the casino is going to be, 60628, which is Roseland. $20 million a year in lottery sales are spent in Roseland. Imagine if $20 million a year was coming into Roseland instead of going out of Roseland every year. Mm. If you look at video gaming, video gaming, uh, those communities that makes the median income is 75 and above, mm-hmm. 75,000 and above, they opted out. Those communities that are 50,000 and below opted in. All you have to do is look at the south suburbs and see how they're growing exponentially. That is the last thing a black community needs is let's put it in your backyard. And the idea that's going to be an entertainment center, nobody says, honey, oh, honey, <laughs> uh, we got to play at six yeah. o'clock. So let's be sure yeah. to leave the slot machines yeah. then. OK, yeah. so, you know, in other words, uh, in the black community, what I've just heard far as respectfully, I disagree with. Um, I know that for a fact that. Uh, it's usually poor, far as African Americans who do do the gambling, mm-hmm. who deal with this, and that's probably what you're right in terms of it's going to help less of us because of the fact that most black most most people who will be, take advantage of this will be those individuals who will most likely be hurt from this. But it is middle class African Americans. And very wealthy African Americans who are pushing for some type of, of 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 contract, some type of jobs for the casinos. Casinos. So you yeah, want to know? So here. you want to have a progressive jobs creator? Mm-hmm. The South Suburban Airport. Yeah, that's yeah, a progressive yeah, that job creator. Been, you're right. You're and right that's, about and that. you're talking about fifteen thousand jobs, and you're talking about where's the and, political and, fight? As far as among exactly. those individuals. That's my point. Okay. And this is the biggest project. It's probably the only project where you've had four governors, mm-hmm. two Republicans and yeah. two Democrats, Ryan, 
uh, Edgar, Ryan, Blagojevich, and Quinn mm-hmm. have all supported it. And the only two people who have fought it tooth and nail mm-hmm. have been Daly and Rahm Emanuel. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Mike and, Madigan, and, and, depending on the control. Well, he but he said it. he wouldn't he wouldn't stop it. He hasn't had to really stop it. Yeah, because, because the mayors of the have mayors stopped have stopped it. it. Right, yeah. exactly. So he's he's been able to to be under the radar, right? right. right. <laughs> exactly. But the thing is, is that when you're talking about and the, and the woman now who is the head of airports around the world mm-hmm. it happens to be a black woman, and one of the things she's talking about now is. And that's something we never talked about was using uh, airports as a job creator. Mm. But now they're talking about it as a job creator. And China is going to build 100 airports in the next 10 years. And America hasn't built an airport in 50 years. And here in Chicago, we're the transportation hub of the nation. And we're the largest city in the nation with only two airports. I have not uh, heard any candidate and maybe I missed something, Delmarie, correct me if I'm wrong. Any of the candidates in the last go-around championing a south, side, south suburban airport? Did I, did I miss something? You didn't miss anything, okay, I just no. Make sure right. I didn't miss but, but you can bet I was out there championing <laughs> yeah. it, and I'm going to continue to champion it because when it comes to casino versus airport, yeah. I mean, to you me, this is a no-brainer. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's come up with something that's going to create jobs and revitalize the south side. Right. Not mm-hmm. tear it down. Right. Not destroy it. Yeah. Right. Because that's what's happening. There's right. very little left. By the way, uh, I just want to make clear uh, when you talk about the casino going in the South Side, there's been talk. You're, are you talking about the proposed that the talk about having it go in the Tenth Ward? Is yes. That, okay. So nothing definitive uh, has been established about where it would go. But that was no. one site that Rom. But that was the one Rom mm-hmm. wanted to yeah. push right. before he got well, out Rahm of office. Is, uh, leaving Fair office. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I'm just curious your thoughts as Rom departs about his larger legacy, the legacy he has. We've been having a lot of fun <laughs> playing his speech, excerpts of his speech. I don't know, did you hear his farewell speech that he gave? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, anyway, uh, he gave a farewell speech, um, teared up a little bit. Uh, yes, was it? I'm losing track of time. It was Wednesday. Wednesday, thank you. Uh, so what's your thoughts, your overall thoughts of Rahm's legacy as mayor of the city of Chicago? Well, my immediate thought is the the uh, Wizard of Oz song is playing in my head, Ding Dong, The Witch is Dead. That was my first thought when you said it. Okay. But <laughs> but I'll, right I'll come on. back from that. Okay. <laughs> See, and she was not in the room when I was speaking, so I know... You know, this is not something that it's is planned. an enigma. Yeah. yeah. This so is did you say the same thing? Right. Something worse. So, something worse. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so, okay, so beyond uh, Ding Dong, the witch is dead, <laughs> what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad he's gone. I mean, yeah. those are my thoughts. And that's why I said we couldn't do any worse. And, and I'm mm-hmm. hoping that we're going to do a lot better. And I hope that the next mayor and uh, uh, Lori Lightfoot specifically, is going to take a holistic approach to how we invest in the city of Chicago and understand that there are many opportunities uh, on the South Side for investment and projects should not take decades on the South Side while we watch projects on the North Side get fast-tracked in a matter of months. All right, now to that point, I'm curious about uh, your reaction, Delmarie. Really, I'm curious about your reaction to this one, the, the, the TIF deals that went through on Wednesday. 
uh, Lori Lightfoot said that she felt comfortable she could sign on to them because the amount of money that was going to be dedicated for black-owned businesses was increased. I forget the exact amount. I think it's like $80 million. Well, she now. said $80 million this yeah. morning. I happened to be at the ribbon cutting for the uh, Black Women's Expo, and she was there this morning. Okay, so she said $80 million. Mm-hmm. So are you encouraged by that? Well, I also know that I'm encouraged by that, but I also know the caveat is that there's a lot of things uh, left undone uh, that have not been finalized that are still up in the air. And Leslie Harrison is one of my clients, and Leslie Harrison is also a lawyer, and she's also mm-hmm. been out there. Uh, she voted no on the parking meter deal because she right. read it and <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and didn't listen to what they told her. Unlike and the so, other 49 and, in the room. And that's what she did on this. She read some of it, and she had a lot of questions yeah, about, about the tip deals on mm, yes. our side uh, by the way Leslie Harrison uh, a lawyer she wrote a very I don't know if you know this she wrote an article somebody sent it to me I should have her on the show about tiffs my passion mm-hmm. obsession she, did. she wrote a, a like a, a scholarly assessment in a law journal about tiffs it's it's very damaging to the whole program just the premise of the program uh, Leslie Harrison wrote this as a lawyer in a scholarly journal uh, Delmarie Cobb is in the studio with me Michael Connors in the studio with me we're gonna take a break we come back you know, you get Delmarie Cobb in the studio, you got to ask her about national politics, Sam. Uh, my good friend Sam out there, I hope you're listening. The last time she was on, she was representing uh, uh, Hillary Clinton. And uh, Sam Holloway, my dear friend, was a Green Party person. Uh, it was a fun debate. It was, I think, the first time I ever had Delmarie on a show. So when we come back, we're going to get Delmarie's thoughts on the early stages of the Democratic uh, primary for president. We'll be right back. Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you by the Chicago Sun-Times. For the latest in Chicago and Illinois news, sports, weather, and the latest in national news from a real Chicago frame of mind and real Chicago writers, check out the Chicago Sun-Times. Read the daily paper or online at chicago.suntimes.com. And hey, if you have a little extra cash, subscribe. And by the Chicago Reader. For a deeper dive in the daily Chicago news and for all of what's going on in this city, you gotta read the Reader. Music, arts and culture, film, extensive event calendars, concert listings, and more, including weekly political columns from writers like Maya Dukmasova and, yes, our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader is free in newsstands and at chicagoreader.com. That's chicagoreader.com. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Mr. Jarofsky, take us to the weekend. All right, that super cool music means we're coming down the stretch run. And by the way, that super cool music is being provided by Delmarie Cobb. Yeah, when she's not (laughs) strategizing, she's playing the piano. She's right over there on that keyboard. Look at that. Tickling those ivories. (laughs) Tickling those ivories. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, before we come back to Delmarie Cobb and Michael Connor, what do you got for me, D? Oh, Fantastic job on the bass, too, Michael yeah. O'Connor. <laughs> Michael O'Connor playing bass. Thank you. <laughs> that was great. Doing it. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, we have a Smollett Gate update. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, we haven't I heard know. enough of those today. Uh, the following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and one Andy Grimm. Ah, Andy Grimm on our show two weeks ago, giving us the ABCs of the Smollett Gate story. Absolutely. If you're a little embarrassed to admit you don't know what's going on in that Smollett Gate deal, well, head over to uh, the ChicagoReader.com, Chicago.SunTimes.com, find our 
interview with Andy Grimm. He'll catch you up. All right, here we go. The update here. State's Attorney Kim Fox has asked Cook County Inspector General Patrick Blanchard mm-hmm. to, to review her office's handling of the Jesse Smollett case. The request for an investigation by the county's watchdog agency comes two weeks after Fox's office dropped all charges against the Empire actor for an alleged hoax hate crime attack with the actor turning over $10,000 from his bond to the city and making no admission of guilt. All right. Now, I was going to talk presidential politics, and I will talk presidential politics, but I got Delmarie Cobb in the studio. And I have to ask you, just your general thoughts. We've I've talked so much about uh, Justice Smollett since this story broke. All kinds of dimensions and issues here. But just sort of what's your general reaction to how this story is playing out? Well, you know, I said early on that the definition of disingenuous <laughs> is Rahm Emanuel's outrage. Because 15 counts versus 16 counts versus 16 shots. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I didn't see the same kind of outrage when the whole Laquan McDonald thing was unfolding. It was only Mm -hmm. when he was pressed and his back was against the wall that he, you know, had tears and all of that. And if you look at what he's done is he's had he built the fire and the FOP put fuel on the fire. Fraternal order police. Right. Mm -hmm. And now... Uh, Eddie Johnson and Rahm Emanuel want to back off because right. they see they've actually created a problem here. Right. And um, and so because of the divide, because mm-hmm. it was white police chiefs who came out against uh, Kim Fox, mm-hmm. and we did not see the same with the black police chiefs. In fact, they stayed away. Sure and did. so then when you say, is it a racial issue? Yeah, it's a racial issue. We all know I mean, I never believed the Jesse Millette Millette, uh, uh, story from the beginning Mm -hmm. because, one, nobody here in Chicago says this is MAGA country. (laughs) I don't, I mean, you know. And and then, two, on the coldest day of the year, at 2 o'clock in the morning, you're going to Subway (laughs) and they know you're gay. Yeah. Now you and know it was some a white people. Yeah. I don't even know Jesse <laughs> if I saw him, but yeah. some white folks know him. Yeah, but, yeah, <laughs> Ray, but, don't yeah, forget my favorite number wait three. They beat him up and he didn't drop the sandwich. Right, right, he right, still right, held right. on to the sandwich. Wait a minute. We're talking about alternative sentencing here. Let's not get that lost. The Patricia Holmes is the attorney. She's the defense attorney. I hope in this situation, if you want to deal with news, they depose. They need to depose Rom, and they need to depose Eddie Johnson. And then we'll get a real backup, a legal backup, because there's no way under the sun. This man was not, I mean, how people connect Kim Fox with this is outrageous. What it does is show the ignorance of the actual system, because she wasn't in court. Her Farr's assistant stood before a judge because there was a deal that was made. Now, they didn't question the four policemen's deal that was just made far as concerning Laquan McDonald. So, the, I mean, you know, Delmarie, she's being nice with it. We on the podcast. They know that they messed up big time. All right, look. And it's a division based on rig- criminal justice reform look, and the lack well, thereof. Even if you look at the Aaron Shock case mm-hmm. i mean yeah. It went, it, yeah it went up in smoke it went puff mm-hmm. went up in smoke and nobody mm-hmm. said a word mm-hmm. and why did that happen but we're going to you know skewer kim fox because of this and and it also as a black person i can tell you that the way i feel about this is that there can only be one darling at, at a time 
Mm. And it was Tony Pratwinkle, and then it was Kim Fox, and now it's Lori Lightfoot. Right. And so we're into the ne- ne- next doing. darling. And so, sorry, your time is, you know, you're, the, you're no longer the flavor of the month. So that's the media. See ya. That is Delba Cobb talking, ladies and gentlemen. See you uh, and uh, <laughs> all right, now Del Marie, presidential politics. I got you fired up on Jesse Smollett. Uh, <laughs> although I have to say this, I, I, I shouldn't have taken the call. Just, uh, just saying, shouldn't have taken the call. She didn't know who was picking up the phone. Get come out on, of stop here. Stop giving excuses for a grown woman who's an attorney and should know better. Stop we gave him, giving. We gave him for Dick Divine, and we sure in the hell gave him for that other bastard that was behind. Wait, time so out. I ain't giving excuses for uh, state's attorneys who should know better than to politicize the state's nobody attorney's office. Nobody said nothing about Alvarez. Nobody said, nobody in the broader media, you may have wrote something about it, but you're the only Yay. one. Yeah. yeah, but here's my point. My point is it was inexcusable when they politicized things under Anita Alvarez, when they politicized things under Dick Devine, and when they politicized things, don't forget Richie M. Daly. Oh, yeah, uh, and so it's, birds. And it, it, so it's just as inexcusable when Kim Fox takes a phone call from a well-connected political operative that makes a call to Eddie Johnson, and you know as well as I do that any ordinary Joe on the street's not going to get that call taken in place. So that that... You cannot that's overlook. Well, I think that's, that's the underlying theme here. Right. I mean, I think that's what really is happening here because, and it's put everybody in a bad spot. Yeah. Because right. uh, Michelle Obama making a call for somebody who's a friend, and all. I mean, you know, because I understand they said all of those things happen. Michelle, I missed that one. No, I, it was. Sh- Mich- you mean she called? Michelle Obama called? Yes. And, right. And so it was about friendships. Right. And so. Informal friendship. Yes. Okay. And, and so Real they were all supposed to be off the record conversations. Right. It was not nothing. I'm not asking you to do anything. Okay. But that's my understanding. Now, that's my understanding. If I'm wrong, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, the problem is, is that you've now created a hornet's nest. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, how do you extract, extract yourself from all of this? And that's what's happened. But it, it, you're absolutely correct. I'm just, just going to say it one more time. <laughs> I did not see all this outrage when uh, the investigation into Daly's nephew who who uh, punched a kid, Kochman, and, and the kid died. I didn't see all exactly. this outrage. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, so I completely agree with you at double standards about that play here. He got 60 days here. after he yeah. was convicted. But it still doesn't excuse it. I'm just saying, guys, you know, yeah, you, got to, you, you have to hold people accountable. All right, now. Let's go to presidential politics right now. Delmarie, you are a big Hillary Clinton fan. You make no bones about it. You supported her in 2016. You supported her in 2008. 2008. Uh, if she were running in 2020, you already you told me. You had already what? asked me. <laughs> well, she's not running. Right. So uh, who are you supporting, Delmarie? I haven't made up my mind yet. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm just waiting to see. I was just trying to get past this election. I had two runoffs, and it was like, let me breathe and, and then take a minute to rest, and then I'll start turning my attention to the presidential campaign. All right, well, let me uh, throw this one at you. I, ha- I was talking about this yesterday. There was a story in the New York Times. I talked about it briefly uh, at the break with you. I'll go into greater detail now. And it was an analysis, follow me on this now, of um, the people who d- uh, tweet and use social media, Facebook, et cetera, uh, in the, uh, of the Democratic persuasion tend to be on the left side. And so um, it, what the story was saying is that um, they're a minority 
within the Democratic Party, but they have a great deal of influence in the party because they're so willing to use social media and they influence uh, the candidates who are running for president. And the article was suggesting that the Democrats, as a result, are tilting too far to the left as they head into the presidential cycle, getting ready to go after, uh, to nominate the person who can possibly defeat Donald Trump. What's your thoughts about that? Well, that goes back to the example I gave you earlier where the Democratic woman said, you know, you're you're moving too fast for me Mm -hmm. because that's what she meant is that it's going too far to the left. And I'm not able to keep up because it's dizzying. And and uh, and that's how Trump was able to win, because there were a lot of people in rural America who said, wait a minute, I don't want to deal with some of these subtopics that you're raising. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not ready for this. I just want peace and I want a a good job. And the other thing uh, we know that in terms of um, Hillary, it was being a woman uh, had a lot to do with it. But her running and getting as far as she did opened up the door for the women who are out there today. And we would have never had this many women running at the same time for president of the United States. So what she did was make all of this possible in 2000, in 2020. Mm-hmm. By the way, there's a good movie. I just saw it yesterday. I urge hey, both wait, to before see you go there, you going to ask me? Uh, about, uh, <laughs> about presidential politics. Well, I am, but I just want to make this point. Okay. Uh, there's a good, really good movie that I just saw yesterday called Knock Down the House. I'm urging everybody to go check it out. And it's a documentary about uh, four women who ran for um, Congress and the Senate in 2018, in the 2018 presidential, uh, the gubernatorial election, I guess it was, or the midterms. Uh, midterm, yeah. And um, uh, the challenges they had. And one of them was uh, uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. The other three lost. She won. There was a woman from who's running in the uh, in St. Louis Congressional District against mm. uh, longstanding the Clays. They've been mm-hmm. around forever. Right. And uh, there was a woman running against Joe Manchin in West Virginia. Okay. And there was a woman running in Nevada. And it was talking about the challenges if you're an insurgent. Uh, and particularly a woman uh, running. And one of the points they made, the movie opened, you guys will get a kick out of this, Delmarie, you in particular, because you've uh, had to strategize with many women candidates over the years. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, before she's well-known, this is when she's just a candidate, is looking in the mirror before she goes makes an appearance and putting her makeup on. And she says, no man has to worry about this, you know, and they're showing her, but like mm-hmm. the all the, this, just when you go right. out, you have to decide. War what, pain. Yeah, what look are you going to have when you go to right. meet the voters? Right. You know what I'm right. saying? And you're seeing right. some of that come up already. I mean, the way some of the women mm-hmm. are being described. Right. You know, like Klobuchar. All of a sudden, she was described as too too tough. You know, she she she, she, she treats her staff poorly. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and then, you know, Kam- uh, uh, Kamala uh, Harris. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're talking about, you know, her prosecutorial record. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, which is valid, certainly. But um, the fact that they're... And who she dated. I mean, yeah. I mean, the fact that you're bringing up who she dated. Who cares who she dated? Mm-hmm. And before she got married. So you, you know, the, it's already a double standard that we're seeing. Mm-hmm. All right, now, Michael, Sexism now you get is broad and has always been broad in terms of what's happening. Look, let me tell you something. I, as a young person, I, I was 17, I, I, and I'm give you a little quick history. Um, I grew up Catholic. Uh, women weren't allowed on the altar, period, mm-hmm. when I grew up, when I started dealing with religion. The very first religion that held to me was held by a black woman. I watched from a distance and from afar because I was in politics how she was being treated, sort of like my boss was being treated, all right? And they would stop me 
from stepping in front of them because of what I saw as straight up old school sexism from at that time, and we're talking about black men, white men, but men in general, the B word was used without an issue. Mm-hmm. Women that didn't know how to curse, didn't know how to push back, and I'm talking about the old ones like Ethel Sykes Alexander, and 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 all I'm, I'm going back. You are going back. So, <laughs> I, you know, yeah. I, I witnessed this, and as, not to make a comparison, but to see it as a gay man, it was a woman who accepted me for what I brought to the table. Most men would have already said, no, we don't want to be bothered based on what you represent. So I I do understand what she's saying. All right. And final question of the day, is Joe Biden too old to be running for president? We'll start with you, Delmarie. Well, given that Donald Trump is the president, no. He's not too old. I mean, Donald Trump is old. Mm-hmm. And so if you're going to go by that and and uh, Bernie Sanders is old. Mm-hmm. So you've got three people in their 70s. Yeah. And if one if it's good enough for one, it's good enough for two or three. Michael, what's the platform? That's always my question. What is the platform? I don't care if you 300. Right. If you're telling me that I can uh, save some of my tax money, I can live like every other American, I'm with you. All right. Methuselah is going to be running uh, anytime <laughs> soon. Uh, one more time before we leave, Delmarie, give folks the information about the Ida Legacy Dinner. So the Ida Le- Ida's Legacy second annual luncheon is luncheon. Uh, Thursday, April 18th at the Intercontinental Hotel. And our guest speaker is Faye Waddle who is better known for um, her stint at uh, Planned Parenthood years ago. But uh, for years, she has been an advocate for women's issues, women's health issues, and other issues. She was part of a think tank after she left um, Planned Parenthood. And so we expect it to be a great uh, luncheon in terms of talking to women about issues that are of concern to us in this environment that we're currently in. And also, um, if you want to get a ticket, the tickets are $200 uh, each, and you can go to Ida's Legacy, I-D-A-S, Legacy.com, and the phone number, if you want to call and buy your ticket, is 312-948-9951. All right, very good. That's Delmarie Cobb. I also want to thank Michael O'Connor. Romana Hussein was here earlier in the show. Uh, Romana's Rundown, always a popular feature here in the Friday uh, Ben Jarofsky Show. And, of course, the man, the myth, the legend, behind the board, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois. Oh, yeah, as Otis Wilson says, <laughs> the ladies all love him for his body and his mind. <laughs> Not true. <laughs> Give yourself a raise, Dr. D. Take it out of petty cash. Everybody have a great weekend. See you Tuesday. Thank you. Hey, live streamers, if you're listening to this right now and you missed any of our program, hey, you can download today's show, all right? Just give me until about 4 o'clock. You guys can talk. It's fine. Just give me until about 4 o'clock, and I'll have it up, all right? ChicagoReader.com. Chicago.SunTimes.com. Downloaders, Hey, we live stream this show. That's right. Every Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m. at the same website, chicagoreader.com, chicago.suntimes.com. And hey, if you're live streaming, click like and share. Tell your friends. We'll see you Tuesday.